everybody hey man how you doing i'm good let's go <laughs> <laughs> nice one uh no dwellers number 60 man i can't believe it it's 60 already i've uh, been here for 60 weeks um uninterrupted talking to like-minded people and friends and colleagues and stuff so um yeah feel very blessed to uh to be there um and today we have three guests again. Uh, first of all, I'll just go from left to right, top to bottom. Uh, Kazimir, uh, KRTM. Welcome to Noptwillers, man. How are you? Uh, thank you. I'm good. Uh, a little bit stressed, but good. Yeah. Stressed, but good. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, traveling is starting again. And uh, yeah, some stuff to do again that is different than uh, working on music uh, exclusively on yourself. Yeah, yeah it's By funny. It, it's funny how you, you. I guess that how we all get used to staying in one place and uh, forgot about uh, you know the hectic uh, stuff that uh, happens when you when you have to travel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I suppose as well. It's like it's almost uh, it's it's almost more stressful when you can't go anywhere to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, where are you where are you off to, um, Casimir? Uh, to Berlin, um, and that's uh, streaming first, and then uh, the weeks after uh, will be uh, Holland and then Hungary. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Nice, that's a nice schedule coming up for you. Could yeah. be worse. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm. Uh, also joining us from uh, Dublin is uh, Sunil Sharp. What's up? Hey, welcome. Yeah, all good. All good, man. Thanks. Uh, good to be with all of you this evening. Um, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's good. I'm kind of easing into it. I, I know, like, the scene is starting back up again. But for me, it's sort of been the end of a lot of the kind of a long run. I, I was, I, I've been teaching over the last seven to eight months. I teach from, like, September to May or early June. So we've been just winding down from that. Um, there's some other stuff happening over here, like a, a nightlife campaign and stuff like that. So I've been quite consumed by that. But usually when I get to summer is when it's I've, I've kind of accepted at this point that this is really the only time of the year I really get to spend some time on making music. So um, actually this chat and just this little coming together tonight, it's kind of a good, a good time for me because I'm just sort of getting back in that mindset a little bit. So, um, so yeah, good to be here. Nice one. Learning, nice. learning to be social again. <laughs> yeah, 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 something like that. Something like so, that. what were you teaching then? Um, I've, I've been teaching a, a DJ course, which kind of turned into a, a, a DJ. It's, it's DJ and music production. It, it also kind of includes events. It's sort of like an all-round. Um, I don't want to call it a crash course, but it's like a one-year course out in a college here called Bray Institute of Further Education. So I've been doing that since like 2005. So it's oh. very much uh, like a, I do feel it's kind of like a, one of my vocations. I suppose it's when you start something, it's not until you start something that you actually kind of know it's for you, but it's something that I take a, take a pride in. And I'm, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just like what we're doing out there and I enjoy it. And 
there has been times, especially in recent years, as DJing has started to kick off more, that maybe I didn't need to be keeping on that job, you know, a, a part-time job. It would definitely make during the week a little bit easier sometimes. But, um, but I don't know, I think the college have been quite flexible with me as well. And um, I enjoy being there and, I, you know, I plan to be there for you know, into the future as well. But it's, it's developing. We, we, we were challenged this year, you know, having to do all the classes almost online. And, you know, I do feel for a lot of the students. But I think what's coming after this and maybe like what even what you're doing with these shows, it's like, how can we bring new things? Like, you know, the, there's kind of new things we've had to do. We've been forced to do them, but now we kind of have new options, you know. So we, we're slowly transforming the even some of the studios. And I think it just could be it could be interesting where we go from here, you know. So um, it was a bit of a, a weird year, but I think we're, a, yeah, I think we're going into a good place after this. So let's see. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me first introduce uh, Andrew, and then you can talk the rest of the show, okay? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm just joking. Uh, Andrew, welcome. Slave to Society also joining us from... No, joining us from uh, Belfast. Belfast. In Belfast at the minute, yes. Thanks for having us on. Looking yeah, how's it going? Not too bad, man. I've just been busy writing loads of music at the minute and trying to get things sort of organized for the rest of the year. Mm. Um, yeah. It's been ages, man. It's been a long time since the last time I've seen you, man. I think the yeah. last time I've seen you actually was whenever we did the back-to-back in Paris. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. In the, yeah. in the warehouse, yeah. I think that was the last time. Just before the world went to shit. Yeah, exactly. Just before. <laughs> I, rem- I remember I seen Casimir at Unpolished, and it was like, yeah, I'll s- we'll see you in a few weeks or something, because there was a gig coming up. And then it was like, <laughs> everything's, yeah. like everything stopped three or four days later, you know. Yeah, but yeah. Looking forward to getting back onto it again and starting to travel and play again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the last time we that that was the Paris was the last time we saw each other on on the road and and then before that you you and Dimi were here in uh, at store. You were one of the first guests, so that was uh, yeah. that was fun too. Was, uh, I remember uh, you guys came in uh, and said, uh, "Oh, me. let's get the nine and nine off the shelf." <laughs> and <laughs> and I'm, I remember I'm, uh, that that first the first two hours, I was just standing there, you know, watching you two guys uh, just going absolutely bonkers, crazy <laughs> on the on the nine and nine and the eight oh eight with these um, uh, pedals you brought you brought over. What, 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 what were they again? Like the WMDs or something? It was actually it was this one. Oh, you got it there, of course. <laughs> One of my favorites. Yeah, it's the distortion. WMD acoustic trauma. It's one of my favorite distortions. Like band, it's like a three-band sort of distortion unit, but it's pretty tasty. But yeah, yeah I remember that day because I remember like the, the first thing I used in your studio was like a synth and the NATO weight, and it was sort of like two machines that I would never have <laughs> been able to touch before. It was like sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you kind of pushed both to the edge immediately. Like, uh, how how noisy can I get those uh, those yeah, machines? I think, to, I, th- I think to be honest, I think you were a bit concerned about your speakers the first two hours of being Dimitri. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the, uh, the well, the, the drum machines are fine, but the, um, uh, some of the synths, especially that one, can produce insane frequencies. And yeah, uh, yeah listening levels were pretty high as well. Then I think. And uh, I think that's, you that's never know, normal, right? <laughs> yeah. And if you don't know exactly what you're doing on it, which is fine, you know, the, the machine, you know, the sound sonically is fine, but in terms of uh, peaks for the for the speaker system, it's uh, it can be yeah. dangerous. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. anyway, exactly. no, nobody was hurt, no speakers were hurt or anything. So, no, all good. no damage was done, <laughs> no damage was done. Yeah, I think it was funny that day as well because I think we actually we had our first like 
three hours of having a jam and we, we all thought it was a bit rubbish. And then it ended up, actually, they were some of the bits that we liked the most out of everything we did, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing that I've, I've learned, um, especially since I've been here, you know, like uh, just make sure the recording button is always on because you never know. And um, most some some of the things that have ended up on the on the vinyls uh, were actually recorded during times when you know the guests and myself were actually not in a mindset of producing anything, but just you know uh, fooling around and just trying things out and uh, you know sound checking basically. And um, sometimes it's good you know not to think too hard about things and um, just let it happen. And that was one of those uh, things as well with you guys. Yeah, I think I think that's something we all find hard to actually realize. Sometimes it's just when you're trying to be creative. It's generally, you'll be most creative when if you're not trying. Yeah. But if you do try, you end up you just can't do anything. You yeah. just get frustrated instead. I mean, yeah, that's that's it's actually a good strategy to to not uh, you know to start something without having the idea that you're actually going to produce something. Like you have to fit that you have to finish something. You know, so yeah. just playing around is the is the moment where the th- where the juices start flowing basically yeah that's it's sort of something i've been taking on myself a bit recently like i the, i used to always like make the sound with when i was making the track whereas recently i've been having sort of sound design days where i just sit and record and make sound for the fun of it and then afterwards resample it to actually make a track you know mm. whereas yeah. before i always would have made the sound and the track at the same time you know yeah I see uh, Casimir nodding. Mm-hmm. Is that true for you as well? Do you separate the the fun studio times and the the actual product production times in into separate uh, time frames to just really, experiment? Uh, really depending, um, but usually I like to 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 do a lot of sound design and then start seeing where things come together, or sometimes just. Like have a really long session of just hi hats, and then a uh, very long session like like modded drums, and then even unrelated, just bring them together and see if something starts to happen, and and uh, that's actually really cool. And you can focus on the sound design while doing that, and not on composition. And then is composition is more fun sometimes like that because you already did the the whole uh, processing. It's, one way of yeah of doing something like that yeah sort of that's like like uh preparing your stuff mise en place yeah does that does (laughs) that take more um patience because for me that would be and i'd say for some producers it's kind of a patience thing you start something so you want to kind of get at it and get it finished and get the idea down i mean i remember years ago uh i remember there was a quote of yours it was in something like future music where you said if the idea isn't doesn't come together in twenty minutes, it's not worth keeping or something. Do you remember that? This was like a long, a good while back, maybe like fifteen years ago, twenty years ago. Or something. <laughs> I I um, don't I don't remember the 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 actual quote, but it might have been something I said. Yes, yeah, because I'm, it, I'm quite impatient, you know. I'm, yeah, I'm like, yeah. uh, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. You know, you know, scrap it, bin it, just go on to the next next idea, basically. See, I'd be like. With me, I kind of like while I while I feel inspired to make music, I'd be kind of like right. Let's make the most of this time while it's there because it comes and goes. And I mean, something I've been chatting to a few people about 
probably over the last year is how many and i don't know if this is an age thing as well but there's a lot of producers especially older ones who have made very little in the last year you know and it's sort of like when the clubs come back they'll be inspired by that again do you know what i mean and i've I don't heard know, those uh, yeah i've heard those days yeah, too yeah and i don't know if it happened to me a little bit in recent years as well that when my inspiration kind of could come and go you know and depending how many things i had on i wasn't nearly organized to have like a sound design today day or you know that kind of stuff but um uh but i would like to approach it a little bit more like that because i do think you know the more you have the more you have kind of maybe set aside and a little bit more of a, a structure or a plan for it that rather than just rushing at a to make a tune really quickly can be a good way to do it as well so but i, I have found it interesting and it's just something i thought about is maybe younger producers sometimes are always inspired to make uh music because they're still sort of getting out that initial stage of creativity and listening to techno whereas maybe some people have been at it for a while might need the clubs a little bit more to get the the kind of the the juices flowing again or something like that i don't know mm. if there's something in that but it just it just it just seemed that people have spoken to the said that have been kind of older producers where some of the younger producers have been staying more productive i may be generalizing mm. but it was just something i kind of picked up on over the last I, one i think with i think with nobody really going to clubs as well man i think it's sort of like Maybe you do have days where you're in a techno mood or if you're you're in a mood to make dance floor stuff, but a lot of people I've spoke to as well, they're sort of like, they're almost like, um, I don't know, like exploring different realms of, their, of themselves when it comes to music because they know that they don't have the, the freedom to like make a track and go and play it that weekend in the club or whatever, you know? Yeah, and also, yeah. you know, sometimes whenever you're constantly on the road, you always have this thing where whether you like it or not, you're going to hear what's playing before you and after you and all night long. So whether you like, like it or not, yeah. Whether, yeah, yeah. Whether, whether you like it or not, sometimes, you know, you get really surprised and you love what you hear. And other times you're stood there thinking like, oh, fuck, I can't, I can't, can't wait until this is over or whatever. But is the, is the, the whole club experience uh, like vital to, to your process then? I, I mean, for me, it doesn't make a difference whether I play or not. Um, you know, I basically when I'm in the studio, I'm just f working from my own mind. I might have picked up things, you know, like general things, but I don't need to to be on a busy clubbing schedule or playing schedule to be able to produce something. No, mm. I, th I think to be honest, I think you you make better music whenever you haven't been in clubs for a long time because mm. your ears are, your ears are better. Your ears aren't tired either as well, and also you've got extra energy that you wouldn't have had if you were on on the road all the time too. You know. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I used to find, though, Monday, I mean, what I used to find, what probably kind of drove me more back into the box and just doing stuff with a laptop was that I found having to go up to the studio, let's say, on a Monday. And in my last studio, for instance, I could only use it after six o'clock in the evening because there was, you know, offices next door and stuff like that. So inevitably, I just I, I don't know, I just was I sort of fell out of the habit. And then sometimes I wouldn't get in there on a Monday evening. So I, kept, I found what worked for me better was that when I come back on a Sunday night, I just have a laptop and I just sort of literally just sketch things kind of like what well, I kind of almost in that sort of vegetated kind of state where but I'm but I'm getting something together. And that means that means so much sometimes because you can go for weeks and months without doing anything. But if you can just I just found that those Sunday nights were really useful to me because once I had something in the bag, something 
it gave me a reason to get back into on the Monday or Tuesday. So that was one of the things that worked for me with the kind of challenge of, of gigging and stuff in, in recent years anyway. But yeah. Mm. Do, do you not find though that consistency is probably the, it's the best way to make good music because sometimes oh, yeah. if yeah. you, if you don't constantly try, then you know that whenever you go back, you're going to have to have those few days or a few weeks where you're just sort of banging your head against the wall, trying to find something again. You know? Yeah, I, I think the biggest one for me is not having a studio at home, you know, and, and it was it was great having studios, but I would have really, I mean, you're one in, remember you're one in, in Berlin, the last, well, the last one I was in anyway, Andrew, it wasn't too far from you, it was kind of, you walked to it, didn't you? So it didn't yeah, exactly. really, you know, but I don't know, sometimes, I mean, one of, my last one was kind of within walking distance, but I found that, you know, I, I think I've now settled on the idea that, you know, I do need to have a studio at home, a, a setup that I'm um, a setup that I'm kind of happy with that's in the room, that's everything. But it, things have been a bit, yeah, I don't know. I've been kind of, sometimes you can have a studio setup that works and then when you're moved, you have to move to another place or move back home temporarily. And that, I don't know, I think it's, um, I've come to the realization of having one at home is, is, is the best thing because then you can just yeah. switch everything on and you're ready to go. Yeah, we were actually yeah. discussing that in the pre-chat, you know, having studios at home versus in some other place. And um, both Andrew and uh, Casimir are at home as well right now. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does it make a difference for you not having to travel, uh, Casimir? Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, I think the album that I wrote um, last year, which came out just recently, uh, I wouldn't have written that at all, like uh, in, in touring days, I think, because it was just uh, something really uh, came from isolation rather than uh, being by yourself for a long time. And also the amount of, uh, of drums that, that I could come, come up with consistently um, was not something I would do like during the week between weekends. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, actually, congratulations on that album, man. It's it's amazing. Um, yeah, it's, re it's really good one. Yeah, uh, it's it actually now you say it, it does sound like uh, a piece of work where a lot of time was spent on on a lot of details and variations and stuff. So it doesn't sound like something thrown together or something that is made in one session. You know, it sounds like a. Mm a collage of, of many, many things going on. Yeah. It sounds like that, though. Uh, it was written really fast. And, like, I would oh, say yeah? the baseline, like, uh, I mean, the baseline of the work was, like, two weeks. Um, but um, I would say the the sounds itself was, like, from, yeah, sometimes four years back, I would take, like, a, like a snare hit or something, put it in a drum machine while I was making uh, the album and then record that as well. So there's always, like, layers of... Uh, stuff from in the past and that come back into the music but that writing was really fast yeah. so it's interesting what you say because it is sort of like uh, you have all these uh, pieces you you work on um, over long periods of time and you kind of archive them or, or save them for later yeah. use and then when the time comes you want to compose something you basically get like uh, big chunks of audio that you've already produced and recorded and, and sort of yeah. Lego them together. It's a yeah, smart idea chunks. because, yeah. yeah. Like, um, and I think also your sound grows uh, as it ages, or I had to say like, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not that old, but um, I've <laughs> done some years and um, um, like uh, every year you come back to maybe a kick drum or something and you can like maybe 
like a different timbre in there or, or something that, that like alters it a little bit, uh, but then it makes it better at that point than it's still your initial uh, process from years ago maybe. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I like that connection with uh, your own sound uh, and samples and then put it in a drum machine layered with an analog one and or whatever. It's, yeah. Yeah. There's so but, many things that you can do from your own library. Yeah, that's that's sort of what I meant earlier when I was saying about sound design days. It's like building up your own catalogue of kick drums or snares or specific like bass sounds or whatever. Because you might use that same sound like three, four, ten times or whatever, but it'll never sound the same depending on the way that you'll resample it or maybe the the chain of effects that you actually run it through, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've done that too. You know, they just become part of your arsenal. You know, you yeah. just build this catalog or this library, and and uh, and you can draw from it uh, for for years, years and years yeah. in the in the in the in the in the future. Because you no. you always yeah. know if the if the kick drum is going to slam and it's going to sound good on the sound system or in the house or on any system, then you know that you can just t take it, put it in a track, and the track's going to have a nice foundation to start with. You know, you're not trying to like sit and trying to work something out before you can actually mm -hmm. get moving again. Okay, so so what is interesting is one, yeah, actually, the Sonder, thanks for bringing this up. I was uh, actually looking at this one. Uh, how do you stay motivated to, motivate to arrange, refine, and finish tracks? Um, so hardware jamming is quick, and then staying motivated to arrange it and, and bring it to, to a final thing uh, is super hard for 5-7 techno. Um, what do you think? I mean, one one answer is like uh, the what uh, Casimir was just saying, I guess. So you you basically use the jams in the sound design sessions for, you know, to to keep around, and then you basically slam everything together very quickly. That's that's a yeah. That's an option. I, I think it's really important to keep the momentum of of uh, like the, your initial creation burst, and that you don't lose that uh, spark. Uh, otherwise, you you end up like writing. On a track for months on end and then it becomes this thing that you have to do and uh well <laughs> if you do if you do it really quickly it's almost like it's writing itself mm. and, yeah uh, it's, it's that momentum isn't it that, yeah. to just keep it up to keep it fresh I, I found that as well that if i've if i've got something that i think is good that i've got laid down i'll i'll, I'll leave i i don't want to come back to it until i so I'll, I'll try and do it quickly but i don't want to come back to it until i'm ready to attack it, otherwise it's gonna, it's just gonna become too familiar, and then it's kind of not going to reach that next level that it needs to. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one too. That's a yeah. yeah, that's a strategy. You know, just uh, uh, just leave it, leave it. Don't do anything until you really feel you can, you can make a big change. You know, or you can mm -hmm. make a contribution. Otherwise, yeah. if you listen to things <laughs> that you are uninspired by too much, you know, it's going to be even more uninspiring by the time you've listened to it again and again, you know. Yeah, you, you, you so, just get super bored of it and end up thinking that it's rubbish when actually it's yeah. probably not. It's probably a really good idea, but you just didn't go about it in the right way, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. so, so just leave it, start something new and come back to it later, I guess. Yeah. Keep the I'd motivation, yeah. I'd like... I'd, I was, there was a podcast with Deebridge I'd listened to recently and he was saying about... Um, Sometimes whenever you write a track and it happens within two hours, you wonder to yourself, you know, why, is, why have I written this track in two hours and why does it work so easily? Does that mean that it's good or it's bad or whatever? But the way he was putting it was that sometimes you write a track in two hours or four hours because all the dedicated hours of practice that you've done for maybe years beyond yeah. that, it's just you have those moments where just everything clicks and it's just yeah. very simple and it's like 
you just walk in that straight line and it's it's finished and it's actually it's very that's very true and that's that kind of connects to what we were talking about earlier um you know like what you said andrew like if you if you you can go to the studio and if you don't really feel inspired you just work on sound banks or whatever so um or you know on whatever you know just learning a new piece of gear or something like that because i i always think that any you know never uh or no time in that you are in the studio is wasted time you know there's always something you pick up and something you learn or uh create or accumulate or you know so that can be useful down the line it's like uh it's like a practice thing or like a um, you know, even though the actual product is not appearing, you know, your mind is sort of uh, gathered more information and more insight and um, yeah. stuff like that. So it's, yeah, even if you don't feel inspired, just go to the studio and fuck around. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, exactly. Yeah. And not, not putting stress on it as well, like, because uh, that affects um, the everything that you do. If you put like, yeah, I want to get like this exact sound then uh, it's like you're forcing it to be something that it could, it could be something different sometimes better things come along the way I, th- and, I, uh, think, yeah. I think you're right man I think whenever you try to like make that specific sound yeah. you'd never make it anyway you always end up making mm. something completely different <laughs> replicating is the, the most difficult thing ever you know yeah it's like how did I make that sound I can't remember <laughs> but I'll just I'll just set a whole load of stuff up and see if I can get back there at some point <laughs> mm. yeah it's also not useful to replicate I think it's better to to maybe focus on something that you want or like some kind of a I don't know like um, um, uh, type of thing, but not like something that exact. If you can describe the texture, if you can describe like the frequency, that's already too much information. Or like mm-hmm. sometimes you end up with a completely different instrument in the end. Like if you sound designing, which is really okay, I think. Mm. <laughs> Thanks for addressing the question. Of course, man. 5.7 Techno. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, replicating things could uh, only be interesting as an exercise, you know? Yeah. That, seems, that is probably, seems... That's probably the only reason why, you, you know, you would ever want to replicate something, just as an exercise to learn is the, something. Yeah, is this replicating others or replicating something you've done already yourself? Could be, could be both, really, right? Mm. I mean... Sometimes you make a sound and then maybe two months later you hear a track that you've made and you forget that you've done it and then you're like, fuck, how did I do that? That sounds, that actually sounds mm. good, you know? Mm. So like mm. you want to try and do it again. And then there's other times, I don't know about yous, but I hear tracks that I really love and then I'll be like, wow, oh, that's pretty cool actually. So you don't try to like make that sound to sound exactly like it, but you're definitely influenced or maybe it like gives you like the drive to get into the studio to try to actually make something like along those lines, you know? Do you think modular has actually changed uh, techno to some extent in that there's maybe, I don't want to say less copycats, but like less, because maybe certain stuff maybe can't be replicated as easy sometimes that perhaps like in the past there used to be, let's say in techno, there was five or 10 producers and, you know, or even less and everyone used to copy them and everyone kind of knew what gear they were using and stuff like that. Do you think, like, obviously there'll be a lot of people out there, like the Jeff Mill sound, and people will always want to sound a little bit like that. But do you think in more recent years there's something around, um, 
yeah, like, because what one thing you're saying there, Andrew, a lot is like, you know, how will I get, you know, how will I do that sound again? I don't really know. And that's because you're, you know, you've got a different, a totally different type of setup now to maybe the kinds of setups that, that a lot of techno producers were using 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. Is, is that part of why you, what you mean about not being able to find it as easy to replicate? And is that kind of healthy as well? I think I think with modular stuff, it is pretty hard to replicate stuff because you know sometimes it just doesn't do what you want it to do, and other yeah. times it does. So it's like yeah. I think yeah, as well the room, uh, the room where you're making yeah. it that, that also changes. You can have exactly the same setup in a different room and and, and be like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, yeah, you don't really yeah. understand. That's why it's good to have good kick drums in your in your sample folder because yeah. it means that whatever your room's bad, it'll still sound sweet. Yeah. I think I think probably what what uh, modular or you know like affordable synths in general um, have been doing is is uh, encourage people to explore a bit more. You know, yeah. I think you know in the times when when things were m more sample based or or you know preset kind of synth based, um, it was more about the composition and more about the you know sort of musical content and. Or maybe that that's not the right word, but you know what I mean, right? It's I think this delving into the whole sort of sound design and ex exploratory um, mood or mindset with modular is is definitely something that is uh, you know of of that is true for for the you know sort of the modern gear, you know. I think with you know companies like Behringer as well, they've like re-released nearly every classic synth for about three hundred euros for each each unit. You know, it's pretty crazy. So it's like it be it becomes like I think hardware is almost becoming more like what it was like ten years ago, just to work on the laptop, because it's actually becoming affordable again. Because some of the companies have realised that you know people don't have thousands and thousands to spend on their equipment. But maybe they'll spend three or four hundred on a small synth mm -hmm. or a small drum machine and utilize it until they can buy a new one again. You know. Yeah. But there's also a lot of stuff that you can find on like um, second-hand markets, so like um, stuff that it doesn't doesn't belong to like the techno scene or like whatever. Not even for music. Like if, if it has like an auxiliary and an output or, or a preamp in it, and you can like, or it has a microphone input. Or it has some inputs, then you can use it for, for music actually, and I find that very interesting as well. And very cheap often. Yeah, very true. Do you can you mention some of the the bits <coughs> you've you've uh, you discovered to to use yeah. like that? Yeah, uh, um, like uh, we want gear, gear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like seven years ago, I found this uh, radio, which I still use a lot. Uh, it's called a uh, Captain Fifty Five, uh, and. Uh, and I looked on, on the back and it had like an auxiliary input, uh, um, um, a headphone output and a normal output. And uh, I bought it and, and it's like, it's it's really a go-to distortion. Like, uh, but really, really cranky. Oh wow, <laughs> really so, so you basically just use the circuit to drive sh stuff into it and and, uh, yeah. and distort it. Nice. Yeah. It's a good uh, find. It's Yeah, I actually have it here. Show us, show us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stick your mic into it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it has this massive antenna as well. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Can you talk to aliens? <laughs> nice. Nice one. Yeah. Yeah, a really cool thing. Um, and really old school. Yeah. 
How much did you pay for that one? Um, 30, 40 euros. Nice. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really sturdy. Um, probably was far more expensive back in the day. Mm. Looks like you could do some damage with it. <laughs> yeah. And it has an EQ as well. Like uh, you can, uh, like I mean, very basic, just like highs and lows, and uh, and this is like the gain, the gain stage. Nice. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Crossfader gain and everything. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, you know, you, you get a lot of people asking, you know, what should I get to, to you know, start building my studio? And, and I always encourage people to look for the type of stuff that you just showed, you know, like get a bag full of, you know, crappy gear that you can run stuff through and, and sort of modify the sound with. Even though it only does one thing, you know, it, it definitely gives you an option and, and you know, it enables you to, to give any sound your character, basically. So it's a good one. I think to be honest, I think probably whenever I had a lot less gear, I probably actually was a lot more inventive with what I did with it because I didn't have the options. And sometimes when you have too much gear, you actually just get blinded by it because you're too busy trying to think, oh, I need to use this, this and this, rather than just going, actually, you know what, I'm going to use three things today and nothing else. And yeah. Just write music, you know. That's something that always comes up, you know, in these talks, you know, people trying to find uh, ways to limit themselves. Uh, yeah. you know because yeah like like you said if you're in a room full of gear you know you can just go there and s sort of sit there and scratch your head you know <laughs> but if you're uh if you limit yourself and saying okay today i'm just going to use this this and this and just you know bad luck if i if i can't get anything out of it but it makes you try at least you know yeah and and usually you do get something out of it which you would never uh get uh with with just uh you know trying to uh, you know, grab the the first available preset synth or whatever. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, going going back to what Sonal was saying before as well. Like there was a the mover did an interview on Red Bull or something, and he was talking about um, how in the nineties everybody sounded different, but yet they all used a nine oh nine for the drums. Whereas today, there's like a million sample packs and a million different ways to get a kick drum, and everybody sounds the same. <laughs> so, I, I, I remember Mix Master. Yeah, that's Mark. a good point. Yeah, Mixmaster Morris doing an interview sometime back in uh, around that time and saying the techno needed to move beyond the 909. And it all sort of stuck in my head around that time. It is true, but like, I mean, nothing, work, nothing works like a 909 as well in a club. I mean, you can argue, you know, the cultural impact of the 909 is, you know, so great, you know, it's, it's, and, and it's still going strong, you know, but mm. actually, can I pick out a question from here? Cause there was yeah, one go. Two that sort of linked together. Uh, somebody said here, a, a Joni said, and it kind of ties into what Luke Willikin said here as well. Has the recent emphasis on huge kick drums, um, taken away from the overall groove of techno? Yes. I'm just going to answer that and go, yes. Um, <laughs> there you go. I don't know. I, I could, I could probably add more opinion on that, but I don't know. What do, what do other people think of that? Um, I mean, nothing wrong with a good heavy kick drum, but it has really gone, it, you know, almost all in that direction. A, a lot of it, you know, I think to be honest, man, like what I was finding with techno from the last three or four years is that, yeah, groove has been lost a little bit, but it's also like people are trying to be hardcore to be hardcore rather than just being having hardcore sounds that fit their sound, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the character doesn't always gel, it's like, sort of. Yeah, it's, it's like you can have massive kick drum and still have plenty of groove, but it depends what else you put in the track. But I've, I've found that everything's become a little bit too straight, a little mm -hmm. bit too 4-4, four, four, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
it's also really hard to mix uh, if you have like Im immense kick drums if you uh, you still want to have like a lot of other instruments in there that make that groove it's it's harder to mix but it's possible though it's really possible to do something that is really uh, rolling and uh, and and mm. you can still have that big kick drum but you hear all the other stuff is actually um, clearly like rumbling in there as well yeah and it's a bit more rhythmic or whatever i think yeah. the thing with the old kind of a lot of older techno especially as it got further into the into the late 90s and early 2000s where people were using a lot of kind of well obviously break beats were, were in dance music before that as well but it did see like even like the tribal sounds there was a lot of these kind of like there was these built-in rhythms in addition to what was programmed off the computer or through the machines yeah. and naturally a lot of the faster harder stuff had this sort of extra rhythm in it and i think that's why some of the 90s stuff is still really really popular and why some people are kind of often looking back to some of those older records it's not to listen that was then this is now but it does it does seem like naturally a lot of the kind of the newer the newer sort of your whatever you want to call it kind of techno of the moment and a lot of somebody mentioned fast bpms here as well there is a lot of that stuff that's just all about the kind of the impact of the kick but not much kind of rolling around us and not i don't know listen it's I like a lot of stuff that's out there now as well, but I kind of like that there's just some kind of stuff tacked to the tacked into it as well. There's a groove, but there's a little bit of I don't know, a little bit of something else that makes it a little you, you can clasp onto it. You know, that's um, that's yeah. what I like. I oh, think yeah. some of it has to do also with <clears throat> the the where these things are being produced. You know, like you can you can see that uh, the sort of massive kick obsession is is quite um you know most mostly true for the younger producers and you know they they produce on smaller speakers and um you know if if you if you've released many records you know at some point you you learn how the stuff you make in your studio translates to bigger systems you know and uh if you don't have that experience it's it's quite possible that you kind of overdo it you know you overdo it in the studio you you think i want a really loud kick so you know <laughs> people put in a, in in kick drums with massive decays and and really upfront in the mix and it's really not really that necessary you know but you, because you basically just bury all the other stuff do you think the loud the loud sorry were you going to come in andrew sorry. that's okay we're going no, because I, I remember, I don't know when the when the um, conversation about loudness wars started. It probably started with like dire straits in the mid 80s or maybe <laughs> even before that, you know, but obviously it's a conversation that's sort of that we we know and are, are used to in dance music and electronic music. I mean, has it has it kind of keep going? Can it keep going? Like, what do you, and has it reached its peak or is it going to, it, it just seems like it's still being pushed, pushed, pushed. I, I don't know. And have sound systems. I One thing that I think that's probably understated a little bit in techno is, uh, is sound systems as well. Sound systems got more powerful. So that impact of a big kick drum is like another experience again that you wouldn't have necessarily felt in certain, now you, some of you may tell me otherwise about events that you were at in the 90s where you were listening to the best system um, ever, but at the same time, it does it does feel, I don't know, in the old days, like people would have talked about the turbo sound and 10K, This whereas now it's like function one, void, it's like these huge, you know, big imposing sound systems and even the casual listener sort of, um, and club goer knows what the sound system is. But one thing I feel that really had a, that not 
it kind of colored the sound of techno and dance music a little bit as well, which is good because it's about sound system culture as well coming into the music. But I think it's affected uh, techno in a different type of way as well. I don't know if it's uh, I don't know if that's at, at a loss of the groove as well. But um, anyway, yeah, just to- well, you you bring up like uh, twenty threads in in this thing. <laughs> I know. I mean, you know, of course, you know uh, the way. Um, sound systems or you know the the quality of the sound system and then and the and the way they sound over the over the decades has changed and therefore also how music is being produced because you know the ideal goal for everybody i guess is to have it translate really well on all systems you know so if if your your system the systems of today you know they're capable of being way more um you know of reproducing sound way more natural and uh, I think, in general, what you say about loudness wars, I think maybe it's just my, you know, the people that I'm talking to, but I think uh, people really do care about definition these days, you know, instead of just yeah. being yeah. loud. I think yeah. we've, we've, for techno, we've kind of grew out of that, I think. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think we can push the, the mastering and the compression that people are using on this stuff much more, to be honest, man, because most things these days are slammed. You know, mm-hmm. they're so they're so compressed, they're so pushed so far that when if you look at the waveform, it's just a block. You can't actually yeah. see the individual threads of a. Yeah, of a until I mean, anymore, you know? it's just pointless because once you once you start comparing them on on really high accurate uh, sound systems, you know, you you know you're gonna notice the the squashed one is just gonna sound less exciting. You know. Yeah. So. Do you, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you think I, I it's disagree. I disagree. Oh, okay. Go, go, go. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I think I think you can still sound good when you're squashed, but um, it has to be like a deliberate choice and not to be like in a competition to be the loudest. Yeah. Um, it has to be like uh, um, something that you intended to do. Yeah, and I think then then makes complete sense and it's an artistic choice. But uh, yeah, that's a different uh, maybe. It's different than than just pushing it because everyone else does it. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the reason why why you would want to to do it is, yeah. Of course, you're right. You know, if it's an artistic choice, if it's if it's an aesthetic thing, then it's fine. You know, but I think the reason why people wanted it is if if your track is is being dropped, it needs to kind of stand out against the other ones. You know, and um, I don't know. It's like an ego thing, I guess. But, <laughs> but this is this is what I don't understand. The people that DJ now realize that there's a thing. Yeah, they have game. The vo- yeah, yeah, of course. Game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you turn one down, turn the other up. Well, and he, even <laughs> even even on top of that, further down in the chain, there's always a, or most of the time, there there is some system processing, you know, like limiters or compressors or something. So it, it doesn't really matter at all, you know. Yeah. Do, you, um, do you think as well, like maybe, you know, in the, in the 90s, people wouldn't have been playing CDs in the club. So therefore, most people were playing vinyl. All of the tracks yeah. were mastered to vinyl. Actually, on like vinyl. An process. Yeah. Whereas, on f- whereas now a lot of people might make a track in the week, bounce it down make it as loud as possible on something like, I don't know, Isotope, like, mm. you know, mastering themselves, not really knowing what they're doing, and then they play it out and they think that it's going to sound good, but again, maybe they don't have good speakers in the studio to actually do the mastering on in the first place as well. I don't know, but yeah, you're right, on vinyl it does make a difference because, um, you know, if you have a loud cut, you know, it's less uh, vulnerable for resonant, resonating bass and stuff, and, and your noise floor is... is less apparent stuff like that you know so you want to if you do vinyl you want to have your cut as loud as possible without distorting it basically yeah. um or 
if distortion is your uh, aesthetic, you know, <laughs> you can do it. But um, but yeah, for for vinyl, it makes a difference to the you know a nice workable reproduction of the sound. But for for digital, it doesn't make a, a difference at all. No. But yeah, maybe CDs changed it whenever it came to playing because you know. Whenever I was still playing vinyl, I'll let Sonal have a dig now if he wants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, like the one thing I always noticed it was whenever I came on to like to play the first record, no matter who was playing before you, if they were on CDs, the the, the difference in volume was vast. You know, mm. it's yeah. like it's like Phil. As far as you can push on the gain stage for like vinyl, like you probably need to be at about nine o'clock in order to mix it with the CD properly. Yeah, manufacturers have to, have starting have started to change that, you know, on DJ mixers. Like the Zone ninety six has a much more um, sort of coherent balance between the phono inputs and the line inputs. They they kind of come out equally lev equal level. Which yeah, on I, the previous I, ones you really needed to gain them up a lot. I used to find exactly what Andrew was saying there. I remember like. I remember years ago when there used to be like a DJ like that would come to town, like I'd say somebody even as big as Carl Cox or somebody like that. There would always be this sort of talk that, oh, yeah, when Carl Cox comes on, they put him up louder, you know. So I don't know if it would be like that. You just you're just listening to them and he just sounds much better when he comes on than the warm up DJ. But there was this illusion that we were all under that, like they keep the, the warm up DJ down lower. And then Carl's coming on. It's called right. Let's just bank. Let's just like put away <laughs> up so everyone knows he's here. You know. But um, but I but actually um, I, I it's like what you're saying that transition from vinyl to digital. And I found that for some gigs like where you'd be, you know, playing before someone like Dave Clark or or Surgeon who's all in the laptop, and you just know that you just notice it like so much. It would just like just pop peak up so so much more, and it's like. It can sometimes be a it can be almost li a little bit demoralizing actually because you're you're you've like you played a set that was enjoyable and that you, you think other people enjoyed as well but then they just get so much level out of it and it's just like right because if I in some in some cases if I was to push it anymore I was already maybe battling a little bit against feedback and stuff like that and if I was to like if the bass was really to be felt there you know I was on the stage and. You know, you sometimes as well with, with records, record decks as well. It's just like the positioning is terrible. You're on a stage and the bass bins are right underneath you, and it's just like you're kind of there, there's there's limits being set for you. And then somebody and you're struggling, sweating, going, "Oh Jesus," you know. And it's like hoping that nothing's going to go wrong. And then the um, and getting through, and then someone comes on and they're like, they sound like. I don't know a number of dBs louder than you, but um, but yeah, yeah, it, happen it happens like, with um, uh, you know DJ sets versus people who play with um, live instruments. Mm. Uh, you know, it. How, how, how is your experience with that, uh, Andrew? Because I know you've you've done tons and tons of live shows. Um, yeah. Have you ever had had the feeling you had to compete in terms of level with, um, or did you notice a difference? Yeah, I mean, quite a f quite a few times when you come on, you might think that you're sounding a bit quiet or whatever, but you know, so it's just a case, I suppose, <laughs> of trying to get turning it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, there's other times where I know that whenever myself and Dimitri were playing, like sometimes we were way too loud, quickly <laughs> coming straight in <laughs> from from the act that was on before, you know. So there's also the balancing act of like. Maybe you've done the sound check and it sounded really good in the empty club, but then there's the club filled up and all the rest. Maybe you need to start readjusting again as soon as you yeah. do. 
start to play live, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm like, you know, even though the level might be lower when you do uh, live stuff, I, I try to get um, people's ears tuned to the less loud impression and, and just uh, get, the, get more into the dynamics of the sound, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, once once you know you're five minutes in, people have forgot about the you know the level difference. With I the guess. Levels, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why a lot of the time, whenever I would just start a DJ set, sometimes I just would have played like a noise or a drone for the first minute or two, just to like yeah. almost calm everything down and yeah. then like restart. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Same with BPM as well. If someone's played really fast before you and you reset them, it's like from when they hear that first kick, they 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 just. I don't know, get used to it again or whatever. Yeah, I think people's brains just retune automatically, don't they? Mm-hmm. But you need you need to give them those five minutes in order to like reconnect with what you're you're gonna do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, people who mistake energy for BPMs. You know, like, oh man, that was a fast set, and then you're like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, t- tempo's sometimes a weird thing, isn't it? Sometimes it's yeah. like. It feels really fast, but actually it's not. And other times it feels really slow, but it's actually really fast. Beat Builder has a question about controlling uh, loudness on your live setup. Did you have anything he's suggesting, um, or she is suggesting, uh, an auto boom as a master insert? Do, do you have any, any kind of mastering or bus processing going on when you play live, Andrew? No, not really. It was just some distortion pedals on like sends and returns and stuff like that. Stuff like I would do stuff like that in the studio as well, where I would I would use distortion, but I'd maybe use two, two or three distortions, and I'd take them from this. I have like the, an old Mackie desk which has like four returns on it, four sends and returns. But rather than going into returns, I go into actual channels on the desk, and then that way I can like do weird stuff like feedback the actual distortion loop into itself (laughs) feedback distortion loop yeah (laughs) so it's like you know maybe i use one for bass and like feed it back into itself to give it extra bass and then maybe Mm. the other one that makes really sharp and metallic sounding so that it gives like the highs more present oh wow that's quite dangerous stuff man that you're doing for uh, in a live environment (laughs) that's the reason why we're doing it right it's like yeah that's true you take the That's risk true. to try and do it, or yeah. you can just stand with the laptop and play a nice safe set that you've already got pre-balanced, you know? No, very true. Absolutely. It needs to be dangerous, for sure. Absolutely. It's like, it's like uh, when but, you, you know, it, it's like... Maybe not in terms of uh, sonic accidents, though. I mean, I, I like to keep those to a minimum, but, uh, you know, introduce the danger in, in the actual playing, you know, in the... You know, if you don't do anything, nothing's going to happen. That kind of stuff. That you know, like uh, yeah. you, you know, setting yourself up to fail. Basically, that's that's the best way to play live. Yeah, rock, rocking up with two machines, no idea what you're going to do, and then just make it up <laughs> on the spot. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of the fear factor that you need sometimes to like kickstart yourself into it. Yeah, true. Uh, actually, yeah. Andrew, as a matter of interest, um, now that you're sort of more, you know, a solo art, just a, you're only kind of doing stuff yourself. How will that affect? Because um, I know myself, even from doing live sets with mass with, with the tinfoil stuff and that. I mean, I, I, you know, two two pairs of hands are better than one. You know, how will you? How how do you feel about doing live sets now on your own? Will it be a new? It'll be a new approach, obviously, to some some degree. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I would say it's definitely going to be a new approach, and also because I've been making more like jungle and IDM and like using doing loads of like weird editing on bricks and stuff like that. I think, to be honest, I'll use like a combination of I'll use Ableton, but I'll run all of the actual 
But if I'm using Enableton, I'll run the channels in, into the desk, and then from there I'll use like a modular and some other stuff that I can improvise everything on top as well. Because I think like, yeah, maybe maybe with just doing it by yourself, it's better to have some control as well as the madness rather than just having total madness. What what would be the things that you think are important to have control over and what, what things are you just uh, automating or um, relying um, on? I think more for for break beats and stuff in jungle, or if you're gonna do like break core, where you're gonna want to have like you know the break beat changing every other bar. I think it's important to have that sort of thing already cut up so that you can actually do it in the correct way. It's like you can't halfway through a set say, "Well, hold on, I'm just gonna edit this break and work." <laughs> how <laughs> would you do to- that technically, though? I mean, how would you make like a sort of like. A- um, an unassembled beat into something assembled and with the possibility to, ch- to change how, how would you go about that with something like an octatrack or something i was thinking yeah an octatrack could be done with you know or an akai or something like that but maybe i was thinking more having breaks and like some like weird processing going on in the computer run it run it to the desk and then ah. have like a drum machine and a modular as well so that you can also be like it's more of a jam, even though you do have a certain amount of control already there, you know. Mm. I'm I'm not too sure about actually just having everything 100% in the computer so that I can have the control already done because, I don't know, I think sometimes you need, to, like you said, you need that edge where you're feeling a bit like what's going to happen mm-hmm. you know, in order to make it actually interesting for yourself and for other people too. And do you like like big setups to like take everything on stage, which you have in the studio? Um, I've seen some like AMD setups that were pretty intense, like uh, the amount of gear that was there. Uh, some sometimes it's good, but I, to be honest, I think, as I said earlier, I think if you have two or three things, I think it's enough. You know, you've only got so many hands, and you've only got like a certain length of time to do something. So, pick a drum machine that can has plenty of versatility, as well as having maybe one synthesizer that can also have a lot of breadth in the sounds that you can produce with it. Or maybe even use like a looper pedal, you know, just like yeah, loops, loops up, like loop, mm. loop up a baseline from the synth, and then as you record the loop of the baseline in, then you know recreate like a lead to go on top, and then that way everything sort of sits in the same dynamic range as well, you know. Casimir, when when you play, do you DJ or do you play live, or do you both? Do you do both? It's more a hybrid setup. So um, I would play mostly my own stuff or uh, like stems or like even full tracks but then um then i would also uh, use other people's music sometimes bits from things that i like or that I, I wouldn't make myself but i would like to play so i'm not really limiting myself because i'm using a laptop most of the time but uh i'm pretending to be a dj something like that <laughs> so do you, do you use ableton or tractor or what how do I, you i use uh, ableton since the beginning uh, i think that that is i mean on stage i use other DWs in the studio but on stage ableton is really i mean it's very versatile you can still use max for live um it, it runs very quickly um you can use plugins all the time and i, I mean it's really made for live sets so yeah I, yeah, I've been using this forever. Yeah, but yeah. I've, so, so uh, yeah. Sorry, I've also, I've also seen you, Casimir, use like uh, your analog rhythm and your modular yeah. and stuff in live shows as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes I, I leave the computer and I just do that. But then uh, it's more like uh, I prepare still like some patterns or like some sounds, and 
and I, I tried to like be not as prepared as with uh, Ableton, but um, still like some kind of uh, yeah that you, you you have some go tos. I find that very important because uh, I mean performing uh, can be a lot of anxiety as well, um, and uh, yeah, I want to I want to have like some improvisation going and still be feel creative on stage and not be completely baffled with all the gear and because I'm kind of a, like I'm more a studio musician than a DJ really. I think. Mm. How have each of you reacted, actually, any, yourself, Joachim, as well, uh, playing live, but when a piece of gear goes down on you randomly, it just stops working? I mean, how have you, have any of you had to, how have you adapted in that situation? I mean, no, it no. happened to myself and Matt a couple of times, a, a few times, actually. Um, and it's always, you know, in one particular case, it was in, in one really big gig that we had that we, like, really thought about a lot and it was you know there was a for us there was a lot riding on it we really wanted to do our best you know every set is always this every next set is the best set you want to do and for this particular one we kind of put all of our and then you know suddenly we actually our our equipment didn't arrive as well that was the other thing so we nearly <laughs> didn't make it for the gig that was the other thing and um and then also on top of that, if I remember correctly, I had to start DJing directly after our live set as well. And it was a, it was a weird old night. But what, what happened in the end was I forget what stopped. All of a sudden, things just went out of sync and then uh, a synth just dropped out and, ne and never came back. And it was um, it was uh, yeah, it was just one of those ones that it was like we got through it like listening like the crowd kind of stuck with us obviously because they've no choice but either leave <laughs> with you you know but it did it did it like we had to kind of just stick with what we had but it does make me think sometimes it's like what you're saying about taking risks andrew and kind of just um you know live by the sword or whatever and just see what happens it's um i'm just wondering how any of you kind of reacted in those situations if you lost to be um like you were saying as well casimir the kind of um Maybe the maybe not the anxiety, but the pressure of having stuff. You know, like it, uh, if, if something does stop working, yeah. How, how did you? How, how have any of you reacted in those cases? Mm. Do you do you panic or do you just sort of slow it down a little bit and just think about it or what happens? Yeah, I had that with a with a with a Euro, um, uh, that stopped working um, and uh, all my effects were gone, so I just had to keep it dry, and uh, mm. it was just a drum machine and. Uh, I wasn't really prepared for that, but um, I, I still yeah went with it and just tried to focus on just really heavy drums without any like possibilities to like um, have long reverbs or crazy delays or flanging things or uh, even the clouds was in there which I heavily prepared for like because you can make a pad from even just a drum sound sound or like immediately immediately you can like go from drums to pads and that was gone so. That, that, yeah, that wasn't that cool. But you survived. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think. So. <laughs> yeah, my rule is just to, uh, to act if it is all deliberate. You know, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, once you once you start panicking and once you start, uh, you know, sort of questioning yourself and and uh, you know, be shaken by the whole situation, then then things are very likely to go wrong. But if you just uh, accept the fact, okay, now I, I lost this uh, engine, <laughs> let's fly on, uh, let's fly on one engine, you know, and see what happens. I mean, it's possible, you know. Just don't, yeah. don't, don't panic, you know. Just uh, continue, I guess. Just use your imagination. 
you sort of panic at first, but then it's like, you're just like, you know what, it's dead. It doesn't matter. Just move on. Or Yeah. And, you know, there, I mean, it happened to me several times, but, um, you know, I, quite a lot of times, actually. But um, nobody ever comes up to you afterwards, you know, saying, oh, uh, you know, it was a nice set. But when this machine stopped working, it was crap, you know, N never, never happens. You know, it's always like, OK, you try to rescue whatever you have left, you know, and just go with it. And nobody ever notices. And it's generally the sets that you think are rubbish that everyone else think are great. And yeah. the, the, ones th the ones where you think you smashed it, most people are like, yeah, it was okay, man, it was all right. You have to be careful about that sometimes because sometimes when you come away from a set that people enjoyed, I've always had a habit of this, is somebody tells me they really enjoyed it and I tell them, all the reasons why it wasn't a good sell. I'd say, I oh, know it wasn't. And they're like, oh, but it was. No, no, it wasn't because this and that and this. And it's like, you're kind of, sometimes you're just better to let people kind of, yeah, just think think what they think, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I, I sort of did the same, man. I used to be very honest with people like, oh, no, that was terrible. And, but, and in the end, experience taught me just to say thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like move on to the next one. Can I answer this question here? Somebody just asked one quickly about uh, one turntable. I know we're talking about DJing here and we shouldn't be, but um, that, that happened at a club called Q Club in Birmingham one night where literally <laughs> the, the, the decks were not playing ball at all, okay? And um, great space, all right? So James Ruskin was on beforehand and he was on three CDJs. He was killing it. Like sometimes James, when like when he's on form, he's just he's just brilliant you know he was like he was just I, I've, I've seen James play sometimes where he's not maybe totally in the mood and just he play, he'll play a good set but when he's on it he's really really on it and I remember this time kind of it was good because you know when you're playing before someone that they're they're giving you a good slap in the face kind of like right gonna, gonna fucking you know get into it here and um uh, and I went on and I just sort of, I, you could literally see the deck shaking, like you could see just the sort of the friction. And um, I remember just his look going kind of like, well, look at that, you know, kind of uh, <laughs> in a nice way, you know. But anyway, um, in the end, I just had to stop using one of the decks. And um, and yeah, like this uh, Dan says here, I just had to like play a tune and then just kind of do a little bit of a reverb trail out on us while I took it off and just mm. put another one on. So oh, that's, man. I had to do that for about 30 or 40 minutes. There was another DJ called Binny, who you might know, a really good producer. Yeah. So he, he ended he was meant to play there. He, uh, they opened up the second room and they just shut down the, the, um, the, the first room then, but it was a bit unfortunate, but yeah, one of those ones where you, you can't really do much about it, you know, but yeah. Playing with one. <laughs> Yeah, that I sounds quite a, quite a challenge, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's good it's that you actually uh, actually w took it all the way through the end. You know, you could have also just said, "Okay, you know, this is not going to work." Well, Sorry I played, about it. Yeah, I played for about. I think I played for about thirty or forty minutes, and I think it was just getting to the stage where it was. It was I don't it was know. It was starting to yeah. get a bit obvious that there's going to be. A <laughs> I, I don't know. I, 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 it, yeah, it was just. It was already. A it was a struggle even with that deck then at this point as well. So, and uh, it was funny because um, I won't say, but you know, somebody came a bit later and said, "Oh yeah, I saw there was something with the records there earlier." Yeah, I noticed that. I should have said it to you. And it's kind of like, well, <laughs> you know, okay. But uh, anyway, yeah, I know. Fair enough. They're good. I forget the name of the crew that were running that night. Re really nice uh, crew, but they were whatever way it got set up that night. It wasn't. Less people playing records and clubs now, I suppose, are not as maintained as well. But yeah. yeah, or it was like whenever they brought out, you know, like the Life Boy things that they were put the the like the record players on. You yeah. remember them, Sonal, like the blow up ones, and it's yeah. like 
I remember the first time I ever used one of them and like you go to touch the record and it's like Whoa. it bobbles <laughs> yeah yeah they're dicey to use you know because some people go oh we have these things these little lilos that you put under you know we'll all have a little I don't know but it's no it's not it's not good and then and then when people have a have a the hanging uh, setups as well. Um, if you're told in advance, if somebody tells you in advance that then you're ready for it. Because I remember the first time using one of those, and it was again, it would sort of kind of bobble. But once you're ready for it, you just you just take it a little bit easier when you throw it in, and then it does. You know, you don't get feedback. So they are. They're, I, I prefer those to the to the those other lads. Life boy things. Life boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. Going, going back to live shows, what are you using, Yokan, for your for your live shows? When have you did like Public Energy for Unpolished? Ah, that was um, uh, a laptop and a nine oh nine and some some out you know some little units like uh, some auto machines and uh, uh, an octa track. So basically, a combination like uh, Casimir said, you know, like a combination of your own stuff and and will still be able to play like loops of of records and stuff like that, you know, sort of yeah. like a hybrid thing. So like use yeah. use stems and then improvise on top. Yeah. Style yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the the way I would do it now is probably more live than that, you know. Um, but uh, that was basically all I had time to prepare for at that time, you know, and I was really into the playing like that, you know, with, uh, with tractor that would with my, you know, I don't use tractor only for, for records, other people's records, but also, you know, my own stems and my own loops and yeah. beats and noises and whatever. I'll just, you know, stitch things together in different combinations. I prefer tractor over that, over Ableton for that, because Ableton kind of makes me play down a list, if you know what I mean. Like if you all got all these things stacked in, in inside the, the clip view or whatever, um, there's nothing mm. you really you can change, you know. And in, in tractor, you, you can just sort of go through your playlist as it, as if it was a record box, you know. You can sort of stumble upon things and, ah, okay, let mm. me play this. Actually, Dude. we discussed this last week and Robin Comscore has a, found, found a nice system to deal with that because he has, like, uh, dummy tracks that he can sort of go to and then basically all there are, like, uh, uh, lists of stuff under each of those dummy ones. So he has, like, a massive list of stuff in, 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 in Ableton and he still has quick access to them. Okay. So that I never came up with that idea, but for the, for that reason, I use Tractor because it's more sort of random. You know, I like to just go, you know, just do it on the fly. Basically, that's that's the but, uh, like yeah, a DJing basically. How how do you use Ableton? Do you like use the scene lounge and all that stuff? And you put like the BPM BPMs in there because there's actually a way that you can put um, like a massive amount of tracks. And I mean, if your computer can handle it, you can actually put just like two thousand clips in there. Or more, yeah. and, uh, and and just put it all uh, in in the right order. But then you can still like go down and like say, oh, I want this now. You can. That's the way I I do it, just to keep it like fresh on the stage. So I can, yeah. So you found your system uh, to deal with it. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. That's uh, the I I did live sets in, in in the early days when Ableton came out, and and. I used it basically as um, a tape machine, so I would have like different tracks going, and then I would basically just uh, improvise them on, improvise with them on a on a desk, you know. So pretty much like what Andrew does, you know, like uh, you have the, all these loops going on, and then you basically kind of arrange or you sort of yeah f form the tracks out of it uh, by just working the desk, you know, like old school dub style basically. 
Um, but I've, yeah, I found, I found that to be a good way, but I don't like to, you know, the way some people do it, like having clips and then sort of restart, you know, start a clip in the middle of something and then just change them bit by bit. You know, I, I just, I don't care about starting and stopping clips, to be honest. I just have something, something rolling and then I just, uh, improvise with that, you know, just, uh, manipulate it on the fly. That's my, that's really my thing. How do you think things change for you playing live? Because if I remember right before when you used to play live, you were uh, the MPC was your main kind of weapon of choice, if I remember right, when you were like we're bringing the screen into things, you know, does that does that change how you actually play now, do you think? or Me? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I've used so many different live set, setups, you know, uh, but the, I think the... The common thing throughout all the setups was the um, uh, the unfinished nature of whatever I had programmed in there. Mm. Like j I just have stuff prepared, and then the whole thing comes together when I perform it. You know, so there's no uh, prearranged tracks. I'm not stuck to lengths or uh, arrangements or anything, or even combinations. Um, and uh, a lot of what what I do is just manipulating stuff on the fly and and sort of uh, you know. Uh, create energy use you know doing that basically instead of um it's like djing with 16 tracks you know <laughs> or something you know like having, having everything split out on a desk is is probably the thing i like most um it's, but yeah i'm in the, in the mpc was the same thing you know it was just spitting out channels and and then they would appear on the desk and you know i had some i had some other samplers or i think even a k2000 and you know some rec gear in that setup but I've also used uh, like groove boxes, like the SU seven hundred. I had two of those, and then I mixed between them. Oh, the Amhai, okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, which is another another system that kind of, you know, sort of basic just loops things, and and you can sort of arrange things on the fly. It's almost amazing sometimes how far you can actually stretch like it, like tiny, like say you have like four bar loops and you have eight sections of it. Sometimes you can do like over ten minutes with, oh, with man. just, yeah, just yeah, one yeah. set of loops, you know. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But you, you definitely need the desk in order to be able to do that, so that you can, you know, combine it with other effects and also the like you're actually having a mix with it, you know. Yeah, it's it's so you know some things are just not um, uh, important to to have control over, you know, and uh, the things that do matter to make. Uh, to make dramatic changes are the ones that you want control over, and that's usually uh, the big things like uh, taking out the bass or you know adding some some effects or uh, you know have some kind of control over the whole uh, you know the, uh, assembling um, you know stacking things or whatever you know strip it down instantly stuff like that you know like having you, basically the big things matter when you play live not the the tiny things like the panning of your hi-hat or something that doesn't really make a difference so you, you can yeah. forget about that you know as long as people can hear that big kick drum you're okay <laughs> yeah i guess so <laughs> yeah uh i see eric 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 demon what's up dude Hello. Uh, yeah, I'm just bringing him up. I think it's just part of a conversation I didn't follow. Uh, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, so Andrew, maybe can you maybe show us what you, what you are um, sitting in front of? Like uh, you have got, you've got some, some racks there, like Euro rack stuff. Uh, <coughs> have some Euro rack stuff. I have a huge amount of pedals on here as well. I would say at the minute... Like Your secret weapons. 
Secret secret weapons. <laughs> this is the Impaler from Colossus Audio. This is the. Oh yeah, nice. This is a new company that Arcana started. This is like really killer, like distortion in it because it's got like a tiny like LFO sync on it, so you can actually like you can do some really interesting stuff. Like whenever you're switching between like the low and the high pass mode on it and giving it LFO gates at the same time. Yeah, he's, like, he's doing some amazing stuff, man. We had him on the chat uh, a while back. You know, his, his stuff is amazing. It looks great, too. Yeah, no, he's, he's got a new one come out that I'm actually, I ordered off him called Doom Messiah as well. It's like a little distortion unit with like a feedback section and some other stuff on it. And then this one is uh, called God Eater. This is the Animal <laughs> Amplification Factory. It's like by a guy from Bombay and it's... It's like a killer fuzz distortion machine. You've got like a couple of different diodes inside and a couple of switches between killing between some some other stuff on it, which is nice. And yeah, I mean, with the modular stuff, it's just never-ending story, really. Of <laughs> a work in, progr- work in progress. <laughs> I started with something this size, and this is like some of the stuff that I've got now. So it's like... <laughs> yeah, that's what happens, eh? Yeah. It's I a vortex. <laughs> And it's like, you know, you buy one ADSR and you think, oh, I'm, I'm done. I've got, I've got five now. I definitely don't need another one. And then some, a new one comes out and you're like, looks pretty good, that one. I might need to, might, might need to buy it. But I've been, enjoy, been enjoying the, the shapeshifter and stuff by Intelligel recently. It's mm. like something that I bought maybe about a year ago and took me a while to get my head around it because it's like loads of like sort of, it's almost like screen diving to get to the different moods from within it, but it's very complex, also it's loads of fun. So, if you use pedals, I mean, all of all pedals are usually mono, right? So, how do you most, take most care often, of... Yeah, yeah so, um, do you ever feel the need to uh, to stereo things up a little bit? And, and if so, do you, how do you do that? How do you go about um, that? I have like the what I do is like because your because your music sounds pretty wide, you know. It does have a very uh, f- a big sense of space, you know. But how do you yeah. go from from like a pedal, like a mono source, to something that sounds uh, big? What I've been doing recently is like um, I have like multiples within my like Euro rack, and I've, I have like the Pulsar twenty three drum machine as well that I've been like oh, nice. getting my head around. It's also loads of fun, but it's weird because that's obviously like mainly a mono for everything to come out of but what i do is i just use it the way i treat modular stuff whereas i put it into like a multiple and turn it into stereo that way right okay so rather than have yeah but that's two that's two of the that's two of the same mono signals band basically just uh okay so you don't you don't have any mono to stereo tricks (laughs) like in terms of uh, spaciousness uh, i mean no not not really not really, man. I've been doing it. Fair enough. Like, for example, if I'm going to the desk, I'll, I'll literally just take the two mono and split them completely left and right. You mm-hmm. know, it's like simple things like that. Or else using like delay or reverbs, which have like a nice stereo output on them yeah. in order to like give give the breadth, but no little, no tricks as such. Mm. Right. Uh, if you have an older desk, sometimes uh, the stereo channel is a little bit off. If you put like a mono um, signal in it, it, it goes like a little bit. Um, um, I have to say asymmetrical, and uh, that's uh, actually it's not really stereo, but it, it does something to your stereo Im- image as well. Uh, I just yeah. uh, saw that like uh, accidentally, um, um, like a while back when I was making tracks, um, 
without looking at my signaler. Um, actually, it just sounded good. I wasn't asking myself, but it, it did something with the stereo. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how you discover these things sometimes. Like uh, little imperfections become features. <laughs> Turning yes. bugs into features, yeah. It's like you try to work out how to make that the prominent sound, the little like <laughs> the little weirdness that's going on it in the background. Out, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, what else is in your studio except for uh, the radio, uh, Casimir? Um, <laughs> oh, maybe gotta turn the screen a little bit. Uh, so uh, this is uh, going to be my travel case. Um, and uh, this has been the case that I've been using for a longer time. This is a BSS compressor, which I recently got, uh, the Oberheim, Oberheim 1000, um, which I have for a very long time. It's maybe my favorite synth. Um, not really at the moment, but like maybe my favorite synth in general, because it's, it's, uh, um, it, it's, it, it gets stuck because it's like you're programming it with a with a um, with a computer program, and then it, it doesn't pick up in real time. So the waveforms sometimes get stuck, but it's completely analog, so it's really beautiful. And I've been using that to my own advantage, really. Yeah, the the stuckness of that instrument. <laughs> the stuckness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then there's uh, uh, Frank from Ghost in the Machines. Uh, Yamaha A4000 sampler, um, which is really good for effects as well, and uh, filters and uh, bit crushing and all that stuff. Um, and then there's a Solano custom building uh, from my landlord, uh, <laughs> he just gave, gave that to me, and uh, it's uh, actually a really nice thing, but it's very harsh, it's made for guitars mainly, but uh, you can do some cool synth stuff with it as well. Um, yeah. And then over there is a GP8080 and a Moog um, and yeah, some other stuff. Just um, yeah, every, everything um, gets turned on once in a while. Not, not everything at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. I was saying earlier, it's like mm -hmm. you turn everything on some days and you think, yes, I'm going to use everything, but you never do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, there's more stuff, but uh, I mean, yeah, it, it it doesn't really matter. I think um, like it, it maybe some in some particular moment it, it matters, but I think in the end, some sometimes I even don't know like after all the processing what kind of synth it was. Like I have this <laughs> Alpha Juno, which has this very specific sound from that time, and it can do all the Hoovers and all that stuff. But that's not really what you can get out of it if you have a lot of processing. You can actually do really beautiful pads and like almost organic sounding. Uh, things on like the background and um, it can do that as well and yeah cool mm. yeah, um, to be honest I, I think like the the effects the way you use your effects and processing your song sometimes is what makes the sound more so than the actual original source yeah yeah definitely I, I I'll, actually I started with your rank just to have effects and filters and um, yeah and that's mainly what I'm still into like if, there's something like specific like the like the wasp filter or something which is actually fairly cheap but it has very specific sound uh, i wouldn't like want the oscillator of that synth from back in the day but that filter is really cool and you can put it on any source and uh and had that really bubbly resonance kind of thing going on i like that 
Yeah, I can see the. I can spot the the wasp. If I'm not yeah. correct, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 There's a question from uh, Dan Craig. Uh, does the turn is the turntable part of your setup? The one. Uh, yeah, recently, um, recently more, and I, I love to like buy s stuff from a random shop uh, that and stuff that I don't know. Like if it's the cheaper, the better. Uh, I'll just buy the record and then put it on and be really excited uh, if I can like play it backwards and <laughs> <laughs> discover uh, the hidden messages. <laughs> yeah, just <I don't> <laughs> yeah, stuff that you can uh, can can do with vinyl but I'm I'm in my early stages with uh, with vinyl in general actually I've, I've collected vinyls over the years and I had one turntable a long time ago like 10 years ago but uh, that one broke and since then I didn't really have one but this, this one I have now for a couple of months and I'm, I'm slowly um, yeah feeling it I think yeah, it's nice. It's a really nice idea just to uh, to buy random random vinyls and then just see what they have, you know, just to discover. Use them as an archaeological site, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I bought a, I bought a tape machine once and it came with tapes with um, uh, stuff recorded by a band, you know, and um, it, it, they were like, I don't know, uh, not finished songs, but just jams and noises and stuff. And uh, I, I was just blown away by what I, I found on those tapes there were so many usable things um, nice. it's very cool yeah is, is that one of your secrets you'll come to the sound oh yeah man <laughs> of course <laughs> yeah that's the thing it's all coming from the tapes man nice. <laughs> mm. uh, I actually have a question uh, for, for, for you Jochem which I wanted to ask for a very long time um, uh, like the one of my favorite albums of you is the, the shocking shocking hobby uh, yeah. Which is for me like the, um, I would say uh, at least in my top three because of the, like how it flows from beginning to end and it, it doesn't seem to stop. Like, I mean, it was even like a real inspiration for my latest album because that one also doesn't really cut in between and that one is like that as well. It has one sound and does it have like, like, I mean, I have so many questions about that album, but uh, well, yeah, go for, go what, for it. What, 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 what state were you when you were making that? Like, was it quick, <laughs> what state? Was it, was it, yeah, I, don't know. <laughs> uh, was, I was. Was it a quick job or what, what was it? No, I think I think to to kind of sum up the process that I was using mostly that time was um, it was just just before um, DAWs became capable of handling audio. So everything was done with hardware samplers. And uh, I mean, as as sort of the main part of the of the kit. And what I would do, what I would do, usually is uh, because back you know at the end of the big samplers era, they all had pretty decent memory. You know, like in the beginning you had two megabytes and that was it. But they, you know, the ones that I used around that time, like sixty-four or something. You know, like pr plenty of memory and nothing to today's standards but for me like a shitload of room to experiment and what i would do is just uh you know uh program synths and drum machines fuck them up on the mixing desk with all kinds of effects and then just sample loops out of them basically what you would do these days with a uh, with ableton just making clips out of them you know and then just rearrange them and um uh, you know like you like you just basically produce your album just pre produce elements and then just throw them together very quickly that's how sort of the majority of that 
the structure of those albums came together. It's so, really crazy because uh, every sound uh, sounds like it, it belongs there, and it mm -hmm. it really communicates with, with the next sound, and it's a very harmonic album. It's really really insane. Well, what what I like about using big chunks is that um, you know th you could basically uh, produce like the, almost the complete backbone of of a track uh, as like a one hour jam or something, where all these things are happening and where you're modulating and and uh, you know, fooling around with effects and sort of go wilder and wilder, you know, uh, as the, the jam goes along, you know, just you basically just try everything you can come up with. And then you just pick out, uh, you know, one bar, four bar, eight bar loops uh, or chunks, and then you you can stitch, it, stitch them together, um, which basically already dictate the, the arrangement of the song very quickly, you know, so... Um, yeah, it's. Um, I mean, the the jams were also made with the idea that I was going to sample them. So you you could already create like uh, sort of more sparse parts and more busy parts and um, you know breaks and whatever or build ups stuff like that. So it was yeah pretty much all done like that. And then you know once those were had like some kind of shape, I would, I would stack other stuff on top. You know and you know layer things. It's. Uh, there is no one fixed way of working, but I would say I think what you're referring to as a, you know, the way the album sort of everything belongs together is because everything was built up from, from bigger chunks of audio. Was there, a, uh, Joachim, just a, another question on that actually? Was there a, was there a particular like were you were you influenced a lot by what was going on with like I know that was was on from what I remember it was what was it on actually what what label was it on was it Nova oh, Nova Music was it? yeah, yeah. Um, I mean it did seem to be and and it was it was quite distorted as well some very s slower tracks as well I think the one probably my favorite one on it uh, is that Actor Nine track which is really slow but it's so like I've ended sets with that track you know that could have been mm. be playing quite fast but that just has just this other other energy that sort of transcends BPMs. It's just actually the, the fact it is slow is, 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 is really what gives it more impacts. But obviously then where your productions went after that a bit, and then what was, you know, the, the paciness of the Euro techno sound as well, that, that seemed to kind of almost, um, I don't know what you what, what the word would be, but it, it kind of signified a point in your production career, um, but and and almost like it was a period in your production career as well where you really went in at that. Like, was there what what influenced you particularly to get in, in into that kind of? <laughs> Actually, that track you're talking about is inspired by Schooly D. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. Uh, you know, like the big reverb on 909 type sound. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but um, I don't know. I mean, it's, there were so many things I was into, you know, and um, it, I mean, I've, yeah, I mean, I've, I, I'm inspired by music, but also about things that are not music, you know, and um, I think for those, I think the main reason why it sounds, eventually sounds like it does is just the way I had my shit set up at that time, you know, just, I had a, uh, I just, I could root everything in through everything else and it was like the, you know, I, I was coming from more like, uh, you know, having one sound on one channel of the desk and kind of arrange your stuff, um, you know, like split out stuff, split out on the desk and then arrange them live. You know, that was the sort of the method I, I used before. And then I think it was uh, the reason why it sounded like that, after, uh, you know, in the end, it was like the ability to sample different uh, 
sounds at different stages of the production and uh, and then quickly throw them together and and the the sound design was the was the big uh, work you know the big part of it because I spent ages and ages you know just fooling around with uh, crazy routings you know and you know making sound yeah. happening and then uh, and then you know the whole thing came together quite quickly after that and that was the reason why you know there was no um, yeah like uh, yeah there was no dance floor in mind you know it was just uh, you know whatever sounded good with the sounds that I was doing and some of it was slower than sort of dance floor <coughs> but, um, tempos uh, there's a, like a lot of I don't know but at the exact year when you were making was it 98 I think the album came out came out in uh, 90 well, I don't know yeah 97 I think 97 oh, wow. no 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 sorry so, that was the other one no 98 98 99 something yeah. like that yeah. so what did, what did you use to get like the spectral sound and all this stuff it is because that's pretty early on like that's even still now it's pretty rare to find yeah well the thing is I, I was using all these um, uh, things from that you know students were making on uni at universities like I found on sort of forums and bulletin boards and stuff like that you know like very experimental um software um you know there was shitloads out of, out there at that time you know just people trying to you know make a little application that just did one thing and uh it would cra crash half of the time <laughs> but it also gave me or like even beta versions of early software things like uh when when uh, native instruments started they had something you know the thing that came before reactor i forgot the name i used that quite a lot and uh plug bidul and you know max msp you know stuff like that um and yeah so there was a lot of um, stuff out there like r mostly from the academic corner you know the academic area uh, or yeah like uh sonology students and stuff like that you know who were doing stuff and sound hack you know uh by tom herb oh sound hack yeah yeah it's been around it's for ages man yeah, yeah. It still, it still exists and yeah. it runs on uh, on current uh OS. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah, that's one of the oldest ones, you know, it's been around for for ages. And um the other thing I I worked with for a while but it was hard to manage was the DSP Composers Desktop Project. Um by Trevor Wishart. It's um it's like a, a non-real-time DSP program. And um yeah, so there is there there are like loads of um DSP. I I thought the combination between um, that really sort of alien sound that can only be made w with computers, you know, against the sort of analog, thick, sort of distorted um, tube sounds of, uh, of the stuff that I had back then. Mm. It's a nice contrast. Do you still oh. use your, your Kima system? Um, it's, it's still here, but I haven't touched it for a while. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, it's sort of itching a bit. I, I want to get it back up. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's the Schooly D one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's the track, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe Sunil. Sunil, can you describe your process? What is the what is your weapon of choice these days? I think at the moment, I mean, actually, if if you want to know right now, I mean, like I said, I've gone mostly back into the computer, but I've I'm what I want to what I really want to have is just like a small compact setup, just something that's all at hand. I think probably what I'm like, I mean, just a couple of things that I have now. I mean, even just from a control. Well, actually, what I was using mostly 
this week is my I've been back out kind of doing some field recording. Oh, and nice. stuff. So, so, I mean, that was I'm kind of nearly trying to I'm nearly kind of starting again to some extent, because I think when I first started making music like about the turn of the millennium, that kind of time, 20 years ago would have been I think the first few bits of gear I would have got would have been things like the, the like the groove box like the mc303 which you all thought was going to be a lot better than what it was um, and they, the electribe stuff like that but i did quickly get into um into making music with a computer and by and large i've kind of mostly stayed in the box over the years so i mean like even now I'm, i want to sort of get back into it slowly but surely so i mean this is one little controller that i got recently it's actually made by a company really mm. close that's really close to it. it's all literally Basically, you can you you can play it with your with your fingers, you know. So you just like an accordion. Well, so like all of the all, of, so you can literally uh, bend the notes like this, you oh, know. Um, okay. So you get really really cool kind of like vibrato effect. Um, I, I I guess what I'm sort of I've always found that when I put keyboards and stuff in front of me. I don't really play them. Maybe it's because I don't have like a background in like playing the piano or playing. I can, can obviously. I will put. I will sometimes do, but more, more often than not, if I'm left to my own devices, I'm so used to programming stuff in the computer that I've just um, for a while. I kind of went back to um, to making stuff with. Um, for a while, I went back to making stuff on gear. For a while, but more often than not, I found myself like there's a few there's a few bits like the the SE one synth. It's kind of like a a, a mini Moog uh, clone. I've got some good stuff out of that. There was another. There was um, it's in um yeah it does actually yeah <laughs> i'll have to try that later actually yeah, yeah so, um, i'm getting so uh, to, to be honest i'm actually really starting from scratch at the moment i mean i could list off bits of gear that i have and drum machines and synths here and there but invariably i end up just going back into the computer but the reason why this field recording is probably quite important to me is because um that's that's sort like I think I've almost kind of got a little bit too used to doing stuff in the computer and getting a bit too used to the the same plugins, the same effects, a little bit of that that I used to really enjoy this and I kind of want to start enjoying making music again. And like what um like what Casimir and Andrew were talking about earlier about like putting banks of of and sound design and kind of getting your artillery ready. That's Yeah, what that's I what I was going to ask yeah, yeah if, if that, you're yeah. Yeah. That's what I used to do years ago because I used mm. to use Soundforge a lot. So at the beginning, like probably even before I you know, got those first couple of drum machines and stuff, I was mostly just um, making stuff in software, like on, on various programs, and then just running them through something like Soundforge and just processing them, processing them until I had banks and banks of uh, of drum hits or whatever it might be. And then kind of what some of the others were saying there earlier Years on, then I kind—I of, remember like just finding stuff on hard drives and 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 then using them and going, Jesus, that was a kick I made ten years ago or something. So I don't know. I think there's a lot in that in about, and that's why I've enjoyed using Ableton a lot as well. Just like even just the sample, the sampling capabilities within the program itself are way better than they used to be. I think even just sound-wise, Ableton has improved an awful lot. Like I wouldn't use the onboard. Um, EQs, for instance, but then again, they still got a lot better. And I suppose that's one of the things I've been trying to improve in my music is just doing stuff within the digital realm, but making it sound wider. And you know, not that the that the synths don't sound rattly when you take. Um, there's just lots of things like that that I've started to give a little bit more thought to. But then at the same time, 
I'm kind of still, I'm actually missing the feel of hardware a little bit as well. So I'm, I'm very much, even coming onto this show today, I'm really at a transition with my music making because I've been so consumed with other things outside of making music um, that it's sort of, so I think sometimes when you're in a position like that, sometimes it's like trying to be inspired to make music again or being inspired to like techno again or any of these things. You sometimes have to return to the things you did first, you know, or the things that were part of your process that really spurred you on in the first place. So in a way, I'm kind of going back to basics. So it's like yesterday I was walking around the, uh, the last couple of days, I was just like walking down to the local park with like a, a peeler, like a, a metal uh, a metal vegetable peeler, you know, and hitting it off things and, and, uh, and recording them. And uh, actually there's a really nice uh, sort of set of railings. And I just, I found myself kind of playing them yesterday, you know? So I can imagine the looks of your neighbors. Yeah, well, it was funny because at the beginning I was kind of looking, looking around though, because you know, you are a bit, and I've actually been thinking about this because I remember year, years ago, myself and a friend, we used to go to certain places. And I found if you're field recording, I want to kind of do stuff like this without looking a bit odd. You're sometimes better happy somebody with you because then it looks like oh there's two people they're doing something so if they're both doing something they mustn't be mad there's something going on here oh yeah they must be doing that for something but if you're another person like me coming in with like this and a peeler in my hands and stuff like that if i went in with like a broom or like a you know whatever it is that could make like a really good twack you know it would be it wouldn't look the, it wouldn't look the greatest so i kind of i tried to kind of like go into go into um yeah i don't know i'm trying to just find find myself again with this but yesterday i did find a great place where i just thought fuck i could actually come back here but it's very close to where a lot of people will be walking they're gonna over like people are probably gonna be thinking what's up with that guy but you need, um, you need, you need to get a couple of minutes to stand on the corner while you splash it out on the, on the real I, I actually don't mind the way i'm looking at it is is i'm just out walking like they are except i'm making a little bit of noise so you know so, so 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 if you if you go out and and uh, do a bunch of recordings on your on your uh, field recorder, do you go in the studio or in t behind your computer straight away and 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 try something with them, or are you, are you just shelving them? And, and I'm, I'm going to I'm going to shelve them now. So what I'm starting to do is just like yesterday, for instance, um, I would have just put a name on the folder and where it was. See, I think as well, depending on location and where you go to, there's going to be a limit to what you can get from there. Do you know what I mean? So if you go into a park, there's maybe lampposts, railings, benches, gates. Do you know what I mean? And depending what way some of those railings. <laughs> Are, you could get a nice kind of you know going that way and then it might sound a little bit going differently going down that way obviously then what i'm talking about playing it you could do it really quickly like that or you could go a little bit slowly so i was kind of getting into a little bit of that but there's it's kind of like what andrew's talking about as well with limitations i could get a lot out of that particular park but now i'm kind of thinking like i want to hear something a little bit different and i want to hit something you know but again i don't want to bring a broomstick or a and look like too much of a fucking oddball, you know? So it might be just the peeler for now, but I want to find somewhere else. But I just want to have a bit of fun getting ready for some do tracks, you, do that, you know? Do you do that by day or by night? Uh, I did that during the day, yesterday, anyway. And I do, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm only coming back to this a little bit now. Before I found some of the better places were like going under bridges, you know, and getting that. And you just get a lovely kind of after yeah. kind of reverb. And like, yeah. I mean, you don't need to do much with those sounds. But something else I found useful, which was kind of getting me thinking about doing this again, was, you know, sometimes when you're recording a gig where, um, 
or your digital recorder, but you've actually you're, you've recorded the crowds with the ambient mic or whatever it might be. But there, I remember to, um, listening back to a recording, and it just continued to play on. Um, and then I was, and then I just heard like the 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 people at the bar. They they you know when they're like do, throwing all the the bottles into the thing mm-hmm. and everything smashes. And I just had this lovely lovely just smashing kind of snare sort of thing. Actually, if anyone knows that tune I did on um, on Moore, it's that magpie science, the, the shoot, the real crashing kind of piece of percussion that comes in. That's the bar in some club in, in town, you know? <laughs> nice. it's, it's, it's those kind of like happy accidents sometimes. And I've, I found sometimes though by, I don't know, I kind of want to bring a little, I just feel if I have a little bit more of that at, at the ready rather than just kind of loading up 909s and stuff like that. Um, I always like a little bit, I, I like something that sort of, ha- like I said, that kind of hangs in there a little bit that isn't the, you know. So so do you use the, the sounds you record uh, pretty much as they are, as they no, sort of no. appear, or do you go stretch them out and fuck them up? And I process them a little bit, but I think what I'm, I think what I was sort of enjoying even just about yesterday was kind of like, like playing something as I would maybe like it to sound in the track. Do you know what right. I mean? So sometimes I might get something that will just turn into, you know, uh, one bar loop or four bar loop, or else I might make it make it sound a little bit off kilter, a bit out of time, or on the tree, or on the fiber, or whatever. But the but in, invariably, I think I kind of yeah, kind of depends. I'm not gonna like. There's some stuff that you can hit. Like for instance, if you hit a bin, you know, you can make that sound like a bit of a kick. But what's mm-hmm. the point in using? you know, a bin when you can kind of sound a better, use a better kick that you have already. So, I mean, it depends. I like sort of like kind of probably like the stuff I'm sure any of you get off modular as well. When you just get a strange jack, like a a nice jagged kind of um, piece of, you know, percussion that kind of tears through in the mix, you know, I suppose that's some of the stuff I'd like to use for that. But also it's, I don't necessarily want it to all be really abrasive either. There's some stuff that can kind of just fall into the distance a little bit as well. So I think it's about building up some of that, some of that kind of sample material, you know, and just see where I go with it. Like I said, I just want to have fun making music because for the last what number of years, it's been sometimes felt like a little bit of a chore sometimes, you know, it's like, shit, I have to make music because I haven't done music in so long. Whereas now I kind of think like, well, how about enjoying it first and enjoying the process? Mm. And yeah, that's kind of a bit where I'm at at the moment. Are you a good uh, archiver? Because um, if you work in the books, there must be a, some system to, to how you organize things. Yeah, work and work. Say that again. An archiver, like are I'm you? I'm a hoarder. I'm a hoarder of stuff. <laughs> Maybe that's a nice way of saying that. But no, I'm. I'm actually talking about the system behind um, the way you put sounds on your on your drive. Like, um, is there just one big bin that you throw everything into, or do you do you have some system to it? No, I mean, I'd like to have a system, but I think I'm like again, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm starting I'm starting from scratch again to some extent, you know. So yeah. it's kind of like I do have. Um, I mean, if I was to go back, no, it wouldn't be very well organized. But I want to, that's a good plan. That's a good plan. You need to, you need to, get, it, you need to get Discogs. Discogs for your, you need to get Discogs for your Ableton. Oh, yeah, 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 maybe. maybe. I, I mean, I think, I, 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 like I said, it's just, um, we'll see what way it goes. I do, I mean, I do sort of want to get back. I, well, I do want to keep the setup kind of smallish. I do want to maybe, maybe even, maybe 
I don't know, maybe collaborate a little bit with a few more people again, more so to have fun, not necessarily even just to release us. I know that's something you've done a lot, Joachim. I know you've like been putting stuff out that you've collaborated with people, but I think there reaches a point as well where it's, well, for me anyway, where I just want to sort of enjoy it a bit more. When I was doing stuff with Matt with Defect, it was a totally different way of working for me at the time, you know, going, and he's more of a modular head. And I was sort of like just making music without uh, using a screen was just a such such a... It, it was something I really probably needed at the time, you know. I really started to enjoy making music. So doing live sets was, um, I think what I want to probably incorporate a little bit more is my voice. I've always used my voice. You probably know I like using my voice. Uh, <laughs> but it's, um, I've always enjoyed Aww. that. So when when I started using, like, vocal processors and stuff like that, I mean, that that's what I probably want to get back into my music a little bit more. I've probably... Be, it's probably easier to use kind of vocal samples sometimes to get what you want, but I prefer to sort of use my own vocals. So I think that's what that was probably something we did a lot in the in the live sets. Me and Matt, where was, I used to do a lot of vocals. So I want to bring was, that back a little bit more. Into there was my quite stuff. a lot of there was quite a lot of the tinfoil stuff, Sonal, where you did use. But uh, was it the Roland recorder you were using at the time? Yeah, the Roland V3, I think it was. And yeah, then, and then, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I had to get a second one of those. Actually, it kind of eventually gave out, but it's um, you got you got too excited, you burnt it out. I don't know what happened. I think it was the power supply, or no, it wasn't the power supply because I could have just got another one. No, it, it ended up just pack, pack, packing in actually. But the um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's one of the things I want to sort of bring back to it a little bit. So sort of like starting from scratch. But that was that was, and if we're just talking about live sets, that's something I lo- I, I just. I don't know, that's the bit that I really love because I just felt, it kind of almost felt, and somebody asked there earlier, I don't know if we're going to be doing another tinfoil thing. We do have some material that possibly should have been tinfoil seven that we never put out in the end. But, um, you know, our, our both of our lives are, are in different sort of places. We're still in contact and still good friends, but maybe we haven't been making music together or planning any sets, but, you know, it never, never rule it out, you know, but yeah. yeah. So if you say you're working in the computer tunnel, what's what sort of VSDs are you using these days? Because to be honest, like you know, there's the the quality and the sound quality of a lot of the plugins, as well as the effects that you can get now. They're so they're so close to the original thing. It's like yeah, sometimes I, I, it doesn't really make that much of a difference. I need to check. To be honest, like sometimes I'm even just sort of like grabbing free ones here and there and not even like kind of native instruments or some of the bigger i mean i never really got into reactor and stuff like that i, I would have used it here and there but um i like silent synths that's probably one of my favorite ones actually i think i think probably one of the things i like to do with a lot of those things i, I like ring modulators that's probably one of the one of the things that probably changes the sound i like things to sound a little bit more detuned in general you know or sound a little you know a little kind of Whatever you call it. Have you tried? Have you tried VCV rack? If you don't have any modular stuff, it's a perfect way to get into it. Because actually, mm-hmm. some of the I've I compared some of the modules I have to VCV rack modules, and there's not much difference on some of them. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the one for me, a lot of it is kind of like just what, what, like I was saying earlier, kind of widening the sound out a little bit more, and just getting a little bit more space in the sound. And I think one of the probably things that and this is just more down to a composition or making music side of things is with software, you know, the simplicity of a track is kind of, it sort of comes together a bit more naturally when you're maybe using hardware. Whereas with software, it's kind of easier to load up the channels and give mm. yourself a bit of a nightmare when you're mixing. And it's, it's like, what well, I forget who said it there earlier, but just like maybe you said it, Andrew is like, 
oh well i've made i've only put this tune together in two minutes or in two hours and is it that easy you know and sometimes i you know i am making stuff on software that's sort of like is relatively simple but i'm thinking god there's so much more i could do here so i have to keep making the track so what i find happens a lot of the times in that case is I end up just moving and just deleting more stuff out of it. And then usually by the kind of the third version, it's completely different to what I made first time around. But <laughs> it, do, it does make me take, it does take me a few, I need a couple of days to get into it. And then if I get on a cycle of about a week or two, I start making loads of tracks. So I'm just sort of, that's what I'm sort of hoping for now is to kind of start again and just getting that that rhythm again. So, you know, I, I, I should probably know, oh yeah, this BST and that one and all the rest. But for me, it's a lot about just, loading something up seeing where my head's at and just getting in in the rhythm of it and that that might sound a bit maybe disrespectful to some of the vst uh, things that i'm not named there's not anything that springs to mind at the moment i've been mostly using a lot of the lot of the, the same stuff and ve very few very few bits to be honest actually uh, here's a little thing that uh, tim got me it's just a small little wave table since tim hannigan he's a bit of a, a legend Adam, over there Mo here Mo it's a craft since too it's quite it's quite nice actually it does um it's sort of it can get you can get kind of quite squealy kind of sounds out of but at the same time get this kind of chordy detroit thing going on in as well relatively inexpensive as well i don't know if you can see it there but it's a, a i'll show you there ah yeah 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 one of these sure. lads yeah. so I'm, I'm i'm just going to try and kind of keep it simple at the moment while using a lot of the kind of regular uh synths that i'm using i i do actually i mean there are some distortions as well that i'm enjoying even like free ones like you know that cat what's that camel do you know that camel plug-in camel fat yeah like that what is the camel fat is that not those camel lads crusher. oh camel yeah. crusher camel i mean crusher. there's a few of these kind of ones that i think are, are are really excellent that people were telling me about before but i never actually used um i remember when we were doing when we did stuff in your studio in manchester um andrew you were using all the sound remember the sound toy stuff and there was like uh, the decapitator and stuff like that. At what point did you sort of start to change? Like, did you just feel that I don't like the sound of that distortion anymore? I'm going to get pedals now. Or and would you still stand by that kind of distortion now when I, you listen back to I, those records? I, I still, I still have uh, decapitator and stuff yeah. on my computer actually. Yeah. And but like, um, I don't know. For me, I sort of always find the. I always loved the sound of those distortion units, and then once I started to buy more analog distortion units, I started to like not can't, not say that you can hear such a difference, but it's it's like a, the high end becomes warmer, even if it's really harsh. Whereas sometimes, whenever you keep distorting on a computer, the high end becomes a little bit like nuanced on your ear. Yeah, if you yeah, know what I mean. Lacking lacking clarity or a bit of something. But, yeah. But yeah, the other, the other thing is like, yeah, I mean, I would do the same thing on a computer as what I would do on the mixing desk, which is just feed, feedback the actual distortion into itself by putting it on the sand and then feeling yeah. it like in a, in a loop and stuff, mm. you know? So it's like, yeah, I don't, don't think there's any real like answer to the, like digital or analog being better. I suppose it's just how you use it, you know? Yeah, there's a kind of smoother, maybe smooth is the wrong word, but a lot of kind of like pedals and kind of distortion. I mean, I do like the, um, I do like the likes of the the analog heat. Is it the the electron yoke? Of, I, I uh, uh, you probably know Fran, Fran Hartness. He has one of those, yeah. and Giles as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's been a few ones like that that I've kind of been interested in. I'm thinking, yeah, I like the sound of that, but. Um, but I don't know. I kind of, I, I don't, um, I'm not, like I said, to when we were doing this or when we were organizing this and all the rest, I'm not the most techie 
sort of techno producer in a way. I'm not like always checking up on what the next technology is that's coming out. But uh, but yeah, sort of feel like I'm starting from scratch a little bit in some yeah. ways now again. Some someone actually just put up in the comments there about dent by unfiltered audio, which is actually a really good distortion unit. Yeah, it's like it's got like sort of like patch points on it, so you can build. It's like almost like a little tiny modular. You can build your own effect within of modulation within the actual like distortion. Yeah, it's done by a guy called Michael Hetrick who does the Euro React modules for for blocks in Reactor. Yeah, he like he did like a 140 simulations of like actual analog gear and for Reactor and it's Not also savage, right? Okay, nice, really, nice, really nice, good nice. stuff. It's like a free package. Mm-mm. Nice. This is turning into the distortion episode. I'm enjoying. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. <laughs> what Picking distortion up- were you using back then at the, at the end of the nineties, Yoakum? Uh, oh, I mean, I don't know. It. I. I actually have like actual distortion pedals. You know, some. Mm. Um, but I, you know, usually. Uh, I mean, anything with an analog signal path, you can kind of drive. You know, so there's. I think the, I think the nicest sound in the end is where when, or for me at least, is when when you you know drive things at different stages of the of the chain, you know. So a bit of a bit too much gain here, a bit too much gain there, and that just all accumulates into like a, a distortion you can't get from one single device, you know. And it's just the the you know the kind the way you treat the gear, you know, is or the you know sort of use built signal paths and stuff like that mm. is how eventually your sound becomes you know you can choose to be very you know um uh sort of uh, modest or or uh, um you know keep a lot of headroom every, everywhere but you can also just push everything <laughs> and that 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 in the end you know by accumulating um the sound in in all those stages of the signal path you know the one method uh, clearly is different from the other one uh, as as you go along, you know. Uh, if you keep things clean everywhere, it's going to be totally clean in the end. But if you if you drive uh, stuff in in the diff- different stages of the of the <coughs> chain, it's going to come out totally different. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't need to be like uh, recognizable as actual distortion all the time, but just a little bit of drive here and there, you know, just a little bit of saturation. Yeah. And I, you know, I've used tape to saturate things or to distort things, tubes, um, actual distortion units, whatever. You know, just gaining on the mixer, whatever. Just, uh, yeah, if it sounds good, it sounds good. <laughs> yeah, even, even compressors used in the wrong way can make things super yeah. distorted. And yeah, yeah. Generally, use well. everything in the wrong way is <coughs> is gonna get you distortion <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Yeah, and miking things as as well, you know, just uh, have a microphone sit in a in an sort of the corner of the studio or in a, in another room and just have mm-hmm. a have shit played through it and re-record it is also a really nice way to That's amazing. M- modify modify the sound, yeah. Yeah, and then you get like the the room ambience as well. Yeah. I really yeah, like I mean, to move the microphone as well while the sound is playing is also really Yeah, cool. or just hang it from the ceiling and have it rotate like this, you know, so you get like mm-hmm. a vib- long vibratos. You can also do that the other yeah. way around with having a Bluetooth speaker on a on a, you know, on a elastic band or something and just throw it so it just keeps bouncing and <laughs> in the room and just record whatever is coming from the speaker and, you know, mm-hmm. get some nice, nice. spatial stuff going on. Yeah. 
that's a true way to get your stereo fed like you were asking earlier. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with, with shotgun microphones, it's even more specific. Like you like 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 pointing to the cone and then far away from it, and you have like this kind of flapping sound or something. It's really crazy. Um, like uh, I can't sometimes even imagine if like have specific sounds. That, that I didn't do before, and then like, oh, what if I try it with the with the shotgun? And it's something mostly I didn't uh, imagine before. Like, uh, I think it's a cool trick. Mm. Cool. How, how much do all of you uh, reference with headphones? How much of the time in production? Yeah, I was going to ask that because both Andrew and 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 Casimir uh, uh, say they work from home. So can you actually play music at some at a decent level where you are? Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, but I mean, to be honest, like working in the house, I don't have it as loud as what I would have done if I was having it in my actual in an actual studio space right. than before. But do you feel you you make different decisions because of that? Are you have you improved I mean, mixing skills? Because usually you improve when you when you learn to play or learn to mix on lower levels. You know. Yeah, I was going to say, I think my mixing in general has got better since I've been having it lower. Because right, sometimes yeah. whenever you listen to loud sound, you get encapsulated by it, you enjoy it. because It's, it's, it's like, more impressive, yeah. It's it's like the effect, but if you yeah. keep... I don't know, I'd, I was like reading some tutorials on mastering and stuff like this, and it said that if you're for mixing and mastering, a good point of reference is to always have like the sound level at about 80 dB. So it's like light enough that it's you can feel it, but also quiet enough that you also have to like understand if it's in the correct place or not, you know. Mm -hmm. So I've sort of just been trying to keep keep the volume lower, but then I also bought better speakers about a year ago, which allowed me to turn it down and actually hear it better too. Which ones did you get? I got the 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 Focus. Or I got the Focal the Twin oh, Twin yeah, B6. Yeah. yeah, they're nice. Cool. They're quite. They're not, I don't know, like Dimitri had always had Adams and stuff in the studio. And the Adams that he had were like mastering grade ones and the highs on them were super harsh to me. Whereas on the focal ones, it's, they're quite flat. Mm -hmm. So I find, I find it like quite easy actually to balance the sounds out on. And um, as uh, Sunil was already asking, are you, are you using, um, using headphones as a second uh, pair of speakers or a different uh, reference? Not, not really. I mean, afterwards, I would always tend to go for walks and listen to the, what I've been made but I have like uh, I have like Bose in-ear in noise cancelling headphones mm -hmm. and for me they sound pretty good so whenever and I've listened to a lot of music on them from travelling yeah. and walking yeah as long as you stuff. know what they sound like then it's fine yeah sure so as, as soon as I hear the track like sometimes I have to go back to the house to change the level of something by one one or two dB bounce it down again and then I can go for the walk because I mm -hmm. know straight away if it's off or not yeah, Espe yeah. especially like kick and bass you know what I mean? It's like it sounds very. If it's too much on those, it sounds too much. Right. Yeah. What about you, uh, Casimir? Your listening situation. Mm, uh, yeah, I can get loud in, until twenty-two, and then I, it's got to go a little bit uh, <laughs> quieter. And I miss making music at night, um, like very loud. I I really like that. Um, like sometimes at one, like you get your spark, and then. I'm like blasting in headphones and it's a little bit too much. Yeah. It can be fatiguing and tiring, yes, to blast your headphones. Yes, not especially these. Always a good idea. Like yeah. These uh, like Sennheisers, they're really, I like them a lot because I'm used to it, but um, 
it's really I, I had ringing ears many many Ooh. nights from <laughs> watch out watch yeah, out yeah, yeah me too me too <laughs> I've I've done the same thing in the past, man. But actually, I got the the AKG ones, which are like open, mm -hmm. and actually, like these are amazing because like they never really get too loud, and like you can work for quite a long period of time on them. I use like mm -hmm. a sonar works reference if I use if I use those. Oh yeah. So that so that like balances out the mm -hmm. yeah, but also the using... of the actual. What's that, man? Uh, oh. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, I'm, I'm also using um, a different uh, headphones for different things. Um, like um, I, I would use like the wire dynamics for uh, for making drums, uh, but I would never use it to just listen to music or mixes. Yeah. Uh, Why is that? Because you don't think they're uh, giving you the right image, or yeah, maybe you don't just don't like the sound, or whatever. Um, maybe that's something in my head, but um, yeah, and then I like I. The AKG ones as well, but like probably different ones. I like that as well because it's a little bit the same as these. Uh, but the biodynamics they're they're softer and like they have like a sort of um, more introverted sound. And I would say like these have more like an extroverted. Extreme, yeah, I know what uh, you mean. Yeah, yeah, they're really the 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 Sennheisers, the one you, that you were using, are are really sort of uh, spanky and slamming, and uh, yeah. the DT nine ninety is more. Uh, they play. They, it sounds better if you play at lower volume. You know, you, if you start blasting the the buyer, it's it just uh, it's just really bad for your hearing, and you don't really get a better picture. You know, um, do you think that, do it you sounds think more balanced. Yeah. Yeah, do you think the response on like studio headphones are supposed to be flat though, so therefore it doesn't yeah, sound impressive? Yeah, yeah. Whereas on on the Sennheiser and stuff, it's like it's more boomy, so you automatically yeah. think like, yeah. oh yeah, this this piece yeah. is kicking, but it's actually not, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I found yeah. a good balance in ones I got. They're called Ultrasound. I don't know if you know these. They're called. I'm looking. At, I was just. I don't have them in the room, but I checked up there. Ult ultrasound signature because it's like yourself. If, if you're using ones, almost like radio type of ones, like the uh, what was it, the DT one hundreds or what, what were they, the Bayer Dynamic ones that are ultra flat um, versus something like the Sennheisers. These are I don't know. I find you can um, you can actually put them up pretty loud or what you perceive to be loud anyway without kind of hurting your ears. Whereas I've always whatever whatever it is with sometimes with the likes of Sennheisers, there's always that. There's always that room. I don't know. It always feels like you're giving yourself. It, they're pleasing to the ear, but they're and they excite. They excite you, but they're yeah. The the, the after damage isn't good. But I I felt the ultrasound <laughs> the ultrasound ones to be to be really good actually. Um, and it's probably I probably trust them a little bit more now for stuff like um panning and stuff you know whereas before yeah i'd actually nearly trust it a little bit more than if i had the speaker placements i don't really have a studio set up at the moment but i i you know for panning and stuff i'm finding the those headphones um really good actually so that's the that's yeah. the exactly the thing that i'm i'm using headphones for you know i usually mix on speakers but uh just as a as a last check to see how this how i got the stereo image you know, if I didn't make any mistakes or, you know, uh, stuff like that, that's something that I do on headphones, just to be sure. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, yeah, I generally don't really mix on there, you know, just okay. as a quick reference. Mm -hmm. do, do, you, do you use, like, uh, different speakers at the same time as well? Like, uh, you switch between, those, yeah. like, different speakers? Because yeah. uh, I, have, I have these, like, KRKs, and mm -hmm. I, I worked on that for... Very long time, and, and and I had a different pair of KRKs as well. And I know they're not like 
high-end speakers, but I got used to it and, and it worked for me. But, yeah. but recently I got Focals and they're more on the high-end side, like the, sh the shape ones. And uh, um, actually, um, I, I got more nerdy in the first place, I would say, <laughs> um, because uh, you hear more. And So how do you do that? How, do you make a, like a decision for like what type of speaker you're going to use for s certain type of action or, or uh, function? Well, mainly I, I, I always have the, the main system on, which is a pair of PMCs and uh, plus a, a big sub. And, and then I switch to Genelex, which are in I, from another angle, you know. But it, this is quite a large room, so, um, you know, it's going to sound slightly different from, from every position. But I know it very well. I know the speakers. I've had the speakers for 20 years. I, I know the room very well. So um, pretty much I know what's going on, you know, when I'm doing something. Uh, when I, I, Yeah, I, I can. I never really have to guess what I'm doing. You know, I always know where I'm at, you know. Um, so I know what, what needs work and what doesn't, basically. Um, so I'm not really too bothered about it. But I do switch between the two pairs and the headphones just to... Uh, you know, keep my perspective instead of just uh, being fatigued by one, just listening to one source all the time. Mm -hmm. I think as well, it's 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 almost getting to know the speakers and the room at the same time. Yeah, it helps it helps the most, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because like, w whenever I moved back here and I'd been here for like a month or two, I was guessing where things were flying in the room. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You need it, you need time, man. It, that's it was, just there's it was no like, way. What, what's it. going on? You know. Yeah, yeah. But then after after maybe two and a half months, like I was just yeah, okay, that's it. Boom. And yeah. You're, you're using that that sonar works thing, are you, um, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, I, I use it for the room because the room isn't treated actually, but I use it mm. for he headphones mainly because with the headphones it takes away all of the impedance of the actual like headphone unit and okay okay i wouldn't say it's 100 percent accurate but i definitely would say it helps a lot mm -hmm. because you know there's there's a lot of time where you might think that it sounds super bassy but when if you do the measurement the measurement might have a peak at the point where you think that it's actually mm. too much and then whenever it flattens out it sounds completely different you know and if you use that in a room as well like sending out the test tones and doing it that kind of way so depending where you're going to you just set it up again each time then basically I would do that again, yeah, but yeah. like obviously for my next place, whenever I'm going to settle down, I'll also soundproof the room, you know, yeah. if it's just this was like a temporary measure for like six months, so I didn't want to like start like knocking holes in the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also buying, you know, loads of soundproofing and to have to actually move it away again somewhere else. So it's just like, I'll just wait. Mm -hmm. But strangely, I've sort of got, like, as I said, I sort of got used to it after a while, so... Yeah, I mean, the most important thing, I mean, you can have endless discussions on what speakers are good and which, are, which ones aren't, but it's very personal. And as, as long as you know your, your set of speakers and, and your room and you, you have a very, if, you have, if you're confident that what you're hearing is actually what you're hearing and you know, yeah. you're not really guessing or anything, then, then it's fine. You know, that's the, I mean, there's imperfection in every setup, you know, so whatever. Um, yeah. Anyway, guys, we are over two hours already and don't want to go past uh, Casimir's bedtime. <laughs> I'm just, I, I know you're traveling very early, so that's why I'm saying it. You know. um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, normally we give everybody at the end a little 
opportunity to plug or announce something they've got coming up any gigs any streams any rec releases stuff like that uh, uh, something you want to share with the audience so maybe uh, Kazimir can go first what do you want to share with the audience mm, right now yeah, well, I, I, well I'm personally looking uh, very much forward to uh, to the Knipfest festival in, uh, in like two weeks I think um, and uh, I, because uh, as far as I heard, it's gonna be like full cap capacity for the first time. So mm. uh, I, I think that it's gonna be a kind of a unleashing what, what, yeah. uh, whatever <laughs> has been resting yeah. for so long. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think that I, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Awesome. Mm, nice. um, yeah, and you're traveling to Berlin to to do a stream. You told us. Yeah, tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. On a hitch in, uh, in in Berlin. Yeah. Nice one. Nice one. Mm. Um, cool, great stuff, man. I mean, I would definitely um, encourage people to check out the album on the arts. It's a, it's an incredible journey. It's a really amazing achievement, I think. Um, so um, yeah, have a look there. Uh, Sunil, anything you want to share with us? Um, I mean, a lot, a lot of the stuff I'm doing now is mostly it's mostly political stuff. Actually, it's trying to kind of change our change our laws and change the system for nightlife and hopefully change the culture in the long term so that's sort of where my head's at mostly but that will be starting to change soon hopefully and it it does sort of start to t tie into things like reopening as well because we've had to kind of be a voice for the nightlife sector to try and reopen the so at the moment i mean there's there are various talks underway around like a, an opening pilot events because we're we're a little bit behind some other countries as well so that's that's still work in progress i mean it was only yesterday that our government announced that they were actually going to embrace antigen testing you know like this is a, a big thing for us to actually go yeah we we see the merits in that when every other country already has so it's 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 a little bit slower here in terms of gigging and stuff like that i mean it's it it's mostly looking like kind of starting back around august and then it's kind of opening up a little bit more in the months after that but i'm still a little you know let's see how that let's see how the gigs go i mean i'm not I'm not banking on anything, you know, that it all going back to, you know, schedule, say one thing, but whether it all goes that way, let's just keep our fingers crossed. But um, there's in terms of releases and stuff like that, um, there's a couple of records I'm kind of working on and that are kind of almost there. Uh, but then tracks wise, there's something on Don't Be Afraid coming out soon. That's just one tune. A um, couple of couple of other bits and pieces. Maybe I've forgotten something, but um yeah, I'll, we'll see. There's some, some stuff in the works, but I just need to uh, finalize some bits and pieces now. Yeah, so that's it. Awesome. Thanks, Excellent. man. Andrew? Uh, for myself, I've got quite a few releases coming up for this year. I've got like a, a nice eight-track EP coming out with Bank Records again from New York. I'm going to be doing my first EP with Cyberspeak, which is like a cool Italian label. Do like sort of more like left field sort of electronic and stuff like that. And uh, I've also done like a... I'll be doing like a, a cassette tape release with uh, Murder Channel, which is like oh, a nice. Jap Japanese breakcore and noise label. Um, it's going to be like half an hour of improvised noise music on one side and another half a, half an hour of improvised more like dance floor stuff on the other side. And apart awesome. from that, there's there's more stuff that I, I can't really can't really say just now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. Um, it all sounds good. Yeah, so people check out um, all these guests' uh, pages and uh, things. Uh, don't, 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 don
Yeah, don't <laughs> don't check out my band camp because that's not actually my band camp. It's uh, <laughs> it is it is. It Did is. you get hijacked? No, no. I, I'll explain it. It is my band camp, but I, it was set up specifically for a release that came out on B pitch, and I've never used this. Like it's it's. Do you know the way when you're doing a release for a certain label, they'll you know they say, oh maybe set up a band. So that's what that is. I don't put up anything through that. I don't control that. In time, I will. But no, thanks for putting it up there, man. But uh, no, it's uh, there, it, it, there may be stuff that will come on that. But that's not the. That's not. That's yeah. It's not really. It is my band camp, but at the moment, it's not really my band camp. But okay, I, I think it, it's. A- you know what I mean. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a really good note to end on. Um, people, yeah. don't go to Sunil's band camp. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, do, well, do, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, there might be one, but it's um, not an, an active one as such. But yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, g- thanks guys for hanging out. It was really great to talk to you all. Uh, yeah, I think thanks. I Thank should you. end by mentioning our uh, Discord server. Uh, that's where all the nerds hang out. Um, it's like a, a real-time forum kind of thing where uh, people are discussing producing music, basically. Um, nice. So it's a really nice place to be. And the other one is the Patreon page that we have where you can support us or you can get sound packs, masterclasses, and stuff like that. So have a look there. Sander should be posting the links now, I guess. Um, and that is it for me. So thanks a lot, guys. I really enjoyed it. And thanks for, thanks for the yeah, people thanks who... For Absolutely. And uh, thanks for people who uh, stuck with us till the end on uh, on Twitch and everything. So, uh, yeah, that's it for me. That's it for us. Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye. Nice Cheers. <laughs>